Hello, my name is Will Spencer, and you're listening to the Renaissance of Men podcast. This is episode three of my ongoing series with Jonathan West, Race and the Renaissance. This is a time of transformation. As old ways fall, men are called to rise, to heal our lives, grow strong, and transcend our limitations. In tribes around the world, drawing on the best of masculinity from all of time, a new day is beginning. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance. When I started this podcast in October 2020, I had three goals in mind, structured around what I know I'm good at. First, I'm not an interviewer. In most situations, an interview is a zero-sum game. Either the interviewer will trip up the guest, or the guest will triumph over the interviewer. Someone wins, and someone loses. Obviously, a podcast between friends doesn't have to be that way. But to be good at his job, an interviewer still must be a sort of challenger, pushing back on ideas and calling out gaps where he sees them if only to tee up the guest to win. I can do that, but that's not how I am by nature. I'm a conversationalist. I prefer when two men put their heads together and create a third thing not possible for either of them to create alone. Instead of zero sum, I prefer one plus one equals three. I think by now you can hear that in action in my podcasts, some of which become symphonic conversations where ideas weave their way in and out of three and sometimes four hours building to a crescendo of shared truth. Which leads me to my second goal, to touch upon subjects of meaning. I think of conversations like an exercise in trust building, which is why my podcasts run so long. To me, the conversation doesn't even begin until the second hour. And by hour three, enough momentum and openness has been achieved to really create something special between us, though it's impossible to say what at the start. Maybe we get there, maybe we don't. Not every creative act results in a beautiful finished product, but the joy is in the trying. And never before in human history have there been so many recorded attempts. I believe podcasts are exploding in popularity these days, in part because we're starved for connection in an age of enforced isolation. A great conversation shatters that isolation, and in a podcast, everyone gets to listen to the process. It's a win for the participants and another win for the audience. Third and finally, I wanted my podcast to document what I believe is one of the most important movements in human history, the reclaiming and restoration of masculinity, the renaissance of men. I wanted to talk to the men making it go and learn from their thoughts, words, and actions. I wanted to know what motivates them, what inspires them, and what challenges they're facing in their own lives with their own choices and intentions. So with this podcast, I wanted to create great conversations of shared meaning with men and women that I admire who are making a difference. By those three standards, I feel confident saying that the podcast you're about to listen to might be my best episode of all time. Jonathan is a friend and brother, and this is his fourth appearance on the Renaissance of Men. Our first three chats combined added up to five and a half hours of runtime, and with this episode, we've added two hours on top of that. That's given us a chance to build a rapport, a flow, and a trust to talk about subjects I don't hear anyone else discussing in the men's space. And frankly, with 2022 about to dawn, we need to.
In this conversation, Jonathan and I discuss the Travis Scott Astroworld debacle and what it says about rap music today versus where rap music came from, my experiences living in the black theme dorm at Stanford, the need to eliminate victim consciousness in the men's movement, the movie Boys to Men and what it says about ghetto culture and its changing place within the black community, and finally, the need for black people to reclaim their culture from the corporations who are packaging and selling it to them. With all this in mind, I don't want you to think our conversation is full of heaviness. Like a proper barbershop experience, there's heartfelt laughter and real comedy between us two, which is my favorite part. And in that, I think we get a glimpse into what a real conversation looks like between men, between friends, and between brothers trying to make a difference. And don't forget to watch this podcast on YouTube so you can see what I mean. Before we begin, this episode is sponsored by Deepwell Designs, makers of fine silver and stone jewelry handcrafted in the Western United States. Keep listening for more information or hit the link in the description. And it gives me great pleasure to introduce this week's guest on the Renaissance of Men podcast for our third episode of Race in the Renaissance and his fourth appearance overall from the Being Husband podcast, my friend, Jonathan West. Jonathan, thanks so much for joining me on the second Renaissance of Men video podcast. Oh man, this is a uh, big shoes to fill, man. I, I don't know that I'm. I don't know that I'm worthy. I, I feel like you should have got somebody. I don't know, like uh, I don't know Warren Farrell or Allison Armstrong or I don't know somebody more renowned. <laughs> I don't know. We've this will be our this is our fourth podcast together. That's uh that makes you the number one, probably the most amount of time spent podcasting on the Renaissance of Men podcast. So you are thoroughly renowned. I think that you, I think you like me, man. I'm pretty, I'm pretty confident that, that you like me. I've got, I've got good feelings about our relationship. I think we can go places with this. I think we can go somewhere. I think we can do I'm something glad. with this. I'm glad. I'm looking forward to it, man. I always love coming on here because, I, you know, as you know, I respect all the work that you're doing. And uh, I, the reality is, is that you, it's cool when you have somebody that you're close friends with that is also doing meaningful work. So you can say you're doing meaningful work and really, really mean it and come from an endearing place. So I thank you for having me on again. I, I, I love coming on. You're welcome. And uh, thank you for, you're always here to like experiment with me. Like, oh, let's just try this race in the Renaissance thing. Let's see what happens. And, you know, it's, it's actually like, those are, those are two of my most popular episodes and mm. uh, one of them's in the top 10. And then, you know, here That's you awesome. are coming on with me on YouTube as I learn the rope. So I, you know, so the the feeling is very much mutual. I got a huge respect for what you're doing. We've talked a lot about it. So, you know, we're just uh, we're just two brothers walking the path together. That's it. That's it, man. <sighs> All right. So let's see how quickly we can get canceled. Let's start by talking about the whole Travis Scott thing. Can we talk oh, about that? Gosh. Yeah. 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 Oh man. Um, can we talk about the Travis Scott thing? Here's the thing. Um, I'm just tired of defending rap. You know what I'm saying? I like I I love here's the thing. I love it so much. I love the art. I love it. I'm not gonna lie, I'm I was a Travis Scott fan, right? Still kind of dealing with that, still like in a sense, like repenting, you know what I mean? Um sure. because his music is um sonically some of the best stuff that I've heard. Again, from All right. not lyrically, but the way that it sounds is, is not crazy. lyrically, not lyrically. Yeah. No, it is. I will make no bones that lyrically it is absolute poison and garbage for the soul and every bit of other part of you, right? Sure. But sonically, it, it's it's melodic. I mean, the guy can 
the, the guy is able to weave sounds together really well. So I'll put it like that. And okay. so I'm just to a place where I'm tired of defending it, man. You know, like there's when you start doing satanic stuff and then you got kids dying at your <laughs> at your concerts, sure. it's just really hard for me to say, you know, this is really just a art form of our culture that's meant to express a certain lifestyle that we grew up with. It's like, no, no, interesting. Okay. no. <laughs> well, you know, like maybe it was that, but it's not. It, I mean, just look around, man. Like it, it's not that anymore. And so yeah. I've I've had to break up with rap. I had to break up with rap. I think I texted you about it, but I I yeah. I, I have to, and it's a really big challenge because I like I said I love it, and not only that, but it is. I'd be lying if I said it wasn't part of my culture. I'm as sure. you, if you can see here on YouTube, I'm a black man. Okay, I'm a black man. Uh, I was born in Can't 1992. Confirm. <laughs> Can't confirm. Will can confirm. He's seen me. I've you seen him in see person. Me. I'm a black man. Now, now I've, I've been told that I've internalized white supremacy. So uh, I may not be as black as some of your other friends, but but uh, I am a black man. Okay, I promise. I can show you the birth certificate if you don't believe what you see. But um, black and miles. Oh, that's confirmed. You didn't come on. Black, any black and miles. The family cookouts. I yes. say, bro. Okay, yeah. so yeah, I, I am a black. I grew up in the South, right? I, I've got a little twang, all the yeah. stuff. Yeah, and uh, you knew what CPT was when I said it. So I was really hold on. So all right, we got to talk about that. Hold on. <laughs> so here's the thing. So for those of you that don't know what CPT is, that means color people time. And Will thought it would be funny because we're friends. He thought it would be funny to say, I don't even know what the conversation was, but it's something to the effect where I was coming in late on something. He was like, yeah, I guess Jonathan's on CP time. And I was just like, dude, like, I hate you so much. Like, the fact, number one, the fact that you know what that is. Yeah, and exactly. And you used it appropriately. Like, that, yeah. that, those are the things that made me the most upset. <laughs> It'd be different if you, like, if you heard the term and then you, like, used it in a way that didn't make sense. Just, ah, oh, Will's being cute. But the fact that you knew what it was and you used yeah. it to, to, uh, to, uh, to uh, talk shit, <laughs> it's very gentle it's, shit talking. It's rich. It's rich, man. I love it. I appreciate it. That was the perfect response, too. Like, I, I hate you so much. I hate you so much. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Who told him? Huh? Who told him? Yeah. Told, yeah, yeah. Who told him? Who told him about CP time? You know? <laughs> who told him about CP time? Oh my gosh. Yeah, man. But it's, it's in the black theme dorm at Stanford. You learn a lot of things. Dude, so we're going to come back to this Travis Scott thing, but let's talk yeah, about that. Because right. here's the thing. You've had me on the show three times. Yeah. And so why is it important? I mean, I'm, I'm interviewing you now. Why is it yeah. important for you to, to make – well, two things. What was your experience like in the black in the predominantly black dorm at Stanford? Because I'm sure mm -hmm. black kids, Ivy League, like that's a different – it's a different culture in some ways, but in some ways, maybe yeah. a similar culture. Um, so what was that like? And then the second piece of the question is, does that inform your drive to want to have this conversation about the renaissance of men with men of color, you know, black men? Hmm. I'll have to think about that second question. Before I answer, just do me a favor. Turn down the volume on your microphone a little bit because it looks like it says that it might be clipping on your end. So I just want to make sure that in the oh, final yeah. product, that's Loud probably a little better. Let's that's better. Oh, that's better right there. Yeah, that's better right there. Yeah, maybe maybe even a little bit more. It's all the bass in your voice, man. 
<laughs> Testosterone, baby. <laughs> That's my new ringtone. <laughs> What's that testosterone, baby? Testosterone, yeah. baby. Let's see. Hang on. I'm going to cut it down a little bit more. Okay. Yeah, you can probably see it. That should be good right there. Yeah, that's fine. Perfect. Okay, so just make sure. Like my, my laugh, yeah, my loud ass laugh. You know, black people are loud. I've heard that. I've, you know, I've heard the same thing about Jews too. So it's. Oh man, we were getting canceled today. We were getting canceled, baby. We should actually talk. We should actually, at some point in one of these conversations, get the whole like black man, Jewish man kind of thing because there's like a whole thing there. I don't fully understand it, but it's like there. It's like maybe competing for the intersectional hierarchy. You know what the I mean? Intersectional hierarchy. Well, that and redheads. So redheads are also they're they're like quietly trying to get. Uh, uh, what is what do they call that? Uh, uh, woke woke trophies. Well, is that what you woke. call it? Woke trophies. Uh, woke trophies. Inter- intersectional credit. Intersectional points. Yeah, they're they're like low key trying to get it. But we that's redheads. We need to invite. Do we know any redheads? I don't know that we know any redheads. I used to be a redhead. Oh, that's true. Yeah, your beard's red. So wow, yeah. you're winning the intersectional points, right? <laughs> you're dominating oh, me right now. <laughs> 360 degree jam all over you <laughs> Jewish man redhead <laughs> redheads are the cats of intersectionality oh damn <laughs> put it on them alright so, all right. so before we go spiraling off 15, 15 different topics let me ask you yeah. that. let me answer the question about what it was like living in the black theme dorm you know it, the first year that I was there was my sophomore year so the reason you're, you'll like this the reason why I ended up why I ended up in that dorm, I was assigned there randomly. And so the way that uh, dorm assignments worked at Stanford was that you could get into the dorm of your choice based on um, what was called the draw number. So if you draw a, a if you have a draw number of one, you're the first person get, that gets to choose where you live. And then so the rooms fill up backwards like that. So if you have the draw number of like one through fifteen, you can live in the most prestigious dorm or the the nicest dorm on campus with the, which with the best food, which was called um, Robert E. Moore or Bob, I think at the time. And so yeah. there were a number of small houses that would fill up really f- really fast, and then the large dorm buildings would fill up last. And uh, the the African American or Black themed dorm um, was called Ujima, and Ujima was located in one of the older theme uh, one of the older dorm buildings called Lagunitas. So the reason why I ended up in that theme dorm was that my draw number was so low and it was the least desirable place for people to live who were of the non-theme race. <laughs> so if like so if my if the if the lowest number that you could get was say 2000 meaning you're the last person on the list, my number was somewhere around like 1800. So that's how low on the desirability list it was to get in there. And I was, I was assigned there. Like I didn't, I, my number was so low. They basically put me in um, what was it, whatever was available. And I remember being like, okay, this is, this is going to be interesting. This is unexpected, but sure. And you know, I enjoyed living there so much that when my junior year came around, I had a high draw number and I took that high draw number and I decided to live in Ujima again because I loved it. I loved wow. it. I loved the dorm. Yeah. I love the dorm. I love the people. Um, I love the environment. You know, I like yeah. the facilities. I, I like the food. It was it was great, and I had a lot of fun. And my yeah. experience, my experience of the dorm was like there was a sense of community there that probably didn't exist anywhere else, or that would have been really hard, or that lots of other dorms tried to create. You know, mm-hmm. through activities and stuff like that. Ujima just had it; just had community built in. Mm-hmm. And but the thing is. You know, this was in the days before wokeness. Yes. This was in the days where 
you know, this was, this was what, 1990, 1998. Okay. So, so um, this was well before woke. There was a little mm-hmm. bit of that in the university. Like course, when I got yeah. to, sc- when I got to school in 96, 1996, people started kind of breaking off into their oppression groups. Like, Oh, the, the black kids start identifying as more black and the Jewish kids start identifying as more Jewish so that people can have something to belong to. If I'm going to, is probably the best reason for it. So there was never a period of time where it was like, sit down, shut up, white oppressor. Like I never, yeah. I never felt that. In fact, at the end of my uh, junior year, I know, I think it was the end of my junior year. They named the, 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 the dorm named me the most active member of the non theme race, meaning I was wow. the guy who showed up and participated and, you know, did stuff with them. And I think I might've mentioned to you that, um, or somebody had mentioned at some point on this podcast that I even had a nickname and my nickname was, they called me white will. And the reason why they called me White Will was because there was another Will who was black. So at some point, someone had to distinguish like, wait, which Will? White Will or Black Will? And so White Will just kind of stuck. So I I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. And I never experienced openly anyone saying anything about my skin color or having any um, objections to me being there except for once, except for just once. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was, I was living in the dorm. This was my junior year. And there was a girl who lived across the hallway from me, um, who I was really interested in. She was cute. She was smart and she was, she was black, but light skinned. So I mm-hmm. asked her out on a date, we went on a date, not my finest performance as a date. I ran out of cash. The ATM wouldn't take my card. Really embarrassing, <laughs> oh, but you know, whatever. Man. I'm like, I know, I know. I was like 20 <laughs> years old. Like, don't yeah. do that again. It happens. Um, yeah. yeah. And so there was a dorm meeting that happened and things didn't work mm-hmm. out. We didn't go further than that. There was a dorm meeting that happened at some point after that where someone said something to me, maybe it was her. I don't remember saying that like, I don't, I I don't remember exactly what was said about me, but it was like, um, Will, you're not really part of this community or something like that. And I said, I said to her, I said, well, how can you say that? You and I went on a date and she turned it around on me and said, you only took me out because I'm the lightest skinned black girl here. Like that, that really hurt. That really hurt. Whoa, it was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's heavy. That's heavy. that was heavy. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I never experienced anything, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I really, I really enjoyed it. And what was interesting for me at the time was getting to see the different ways, like you said, the way that uh, the black men there struggled with their identities in terms of like, you know, their, their, their backgrounds. And then they're at, you know, essentially an Ivy league school, like struggling mm-hmm. with that struggle. I mean, but every college student struggles with identity a bit to see the way that people would get into sports or get into politics and to see the way that people related to me. And, you know, just, I didn't have any judgment of anything. It's like, this is just interesting. It's a world that I don't really come from. So it was a really formative, it was really formative experience for me that I was very grateful for. Now, does that inform why I want to have you on the podcast? No. I mean, my thought with that is that there are conversations to be had in the Renaissance and very in specific ethnic groups, ethnic and racial groups about how can we apply some of these learnings to the unique struggles that, um, that the communities face. For example, you mm-hmm. know, the men in the Jewish community um, are generally not typically very masculine. So if there were to be like a, say example, a Jewish renaissance of men, it would be how would we make the men more masculine in the Jewish community? What would that look like? You know, but the struggle for masculinity is universal. But as you and I talk about in the black community, there's the whole Brandon versus Tyrone dichotomy. How do you resolve yeah. that? So mm-hmm. the picture is very different of how do we take these sort of Renaissance mm-hmm. principles and ideas 
and apply them to the worlds that we come from. And, you know, you and I have just been shared space for so long. I'm like, this seems like one of the most fundamental ways to have that conversation and yeah. to branch it out from there to, you know, whatever the Latino community or the Asian community or the Indian community or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I appreciate you answering that. I, I was just yeah. curious because I think, I, I do think that, um, regional across the aisle is, is important. Um, and, yeah. and I, I, I would not be the, the man that I am. I don't think if I didn't reach across the aisle and I, I think there's opportunities for us to learn from men that don't look like us. Now that being the case, that being said, there are shared principles that we have, right? So it's yes. not a, you know, everybody comes in my tent who doesn't look like me. It's let's right. agree on these principal things, right? What is a man? What is a woman? You know, who is God, right? Because for us, mm-hmm. we're Christians, so there's even a particular niche that we both belong to in that way. Um, but there is a tent. There is a foundation, right, that we sit under. And you're welcome within the tent, but you can't try to change the foundation. Like the foundation is what it is. The principles are what they are. And those drive our kinship or lack thereof first. And then secondarily everything else i honestly and from my perspective in years too color really doesn't matter as long as the principles are, are good to go like if we're squared away on principle what is masculinity you know what yep. is you know, what does it mean to be a man if we're squared away on that and then even further with faith we, we good i don't really care what you look like you know and that's I think right that goes for you as well and i think honestly we have to get out of the way of you know, you, it's funny, man, you get on these sides of the Internet about masculinity and, you know, kind of traditional values. And you start meeting a lot of these kind of like racist cats, which is why. First of all, can yeah. I say this? I had yeah. no idea. I had no idea that that was a thing like the uh, kind of return. Dude, like I had no clue, no disrespect. Like y'all do sure. y'all. But I came to the space I'm talking about, uh, you know, masculinity, femininity. And then I get all these kind of like anonymous accounts coming up on my IG talking about return. And I'm like, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. I <laughs> maybe you have two different conversations. I don't know who you think I am, but I no. I I am a black man. Okay. Yeah. Like You're pretty upfront about that. I'm pretty upfront about that. I'm pretty upfront. Well the, the tough part is that at that time, and this was big at the time, uh, a lot of people were posting uh our captions were always with kind of classical photos or paintings or oh uh, sure yeah frank franzita was another big one at the time yeah uh, yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> and so and so there was kind of this there was kind of this alignment it's like oh this guy gets it and uh i i i think i've held on to some of those people but some of those people once they realized i was black just kind of like <laughs> really like, just went away it's wild man wow which is it, it okay. is what it is but i think if we could all get past get past the uh it's my race that is the 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 race that's being oppressed or it's my race that's the one that's being if we can get past that and just say satan is busy destroying men and women and ravaging us as a Mm -hmm. human race if we can get that squared away we'd be far more effective far more Mm -hmm. yes and this is this is why i'm such a big fan of of christianity i've got a lot to say about all that for well actually before i before i jump into christianity let me just say that in my from my perspective is that 
Um, and I said this in a, in a podcast, I said this to Suzanne Vanker. Thank you for, for highlighting that podcast for me. I, I heard about, like, I listened to it and I was like, that was actually, I'm really happy with how that it came out. Very, very good, man. Seriously. I'm really it. happy with that. Thank you. So, um, so one of the things that I, that I say is that there are no, there's no victim consciousness in the Renaissance. You take no. responsibility for your circumstances, whatever they are. And, mm-hmm. and cause she was talking about it in the context of sort of men's rights, guys that have been like absolutely run over by the divorce industry. And yes, those men, some of them have gotten a raw deal, a yeah, really, man. really raw deal, absolutely no, yeah. shafted by institutions, by ex-wives. I get it. I get it. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, if you bring a victimhood persecution complex, if you bring that victim-victor cycle, like the victim-victor cycle, so if someone identifies themselves as a victim, then they point to someone that they want to tear down. And so they tear that person down, then the other person becomes the victim, and then they become the victor, and the whole thing goes around and around. The only yeah. way to break that, the, that's that's a documented thing. The only way to break wow. that cycle, yeah, the only way to break that cycle is simply to say that you're not a victim and to take responsibility. Again, that's not to take anything away from the harm that's been done at all. It's simply a posture that you adopt towards reality. And mm-hmm. men who have a posture of victimhood, whatever whatever their color, including white men, including European white men, they, they adopt mm-hmm. this posture of historical victimhood from who knows, from Jewish people, from black people, from from whatever, what you know, whatever, whatever posture it is they take. Nah, not part of what we're doing here. Not part mm-hmm. of what we're doing here because you haven't it doesn't this is universal. If you have a victim mindset, man or woman Whatever your whatever your background is, if you have a victim mindset, you are destroying yourself first and most of all. You yeah. are you are poisoning your own ability, and you're stealing from yourself, and then you go steal from others when you're done doing that. Only mm. by releasing the victim mindset can you begin to rise into your own strength, and mm. and that's what real that's what a real uh, a real noble man does. And so, you know, a lot of these guys in the right wing bodybuilding world you know, yeah. as empowered as they are in terms of fitness. And I have, I admire the things they accomplish physically. They cool. have that victim mindset. Someone gave that victim mindset to them. And I would like to purge that victim mindset from them. And mm-hmm. I'm sorry. And it shows up in my feeds from time to time. I'm like, nope, out, gone by, <laughs> you know, get, keep that away from me. And so yeah. I, I guess for what it's worth, I'm sorry that you, that you encounter that. And I regret that about a lot of aspects of the men's <laughs> movement that yeah. are fringe, but they're annoying. They're part. Yeah. Well, it's it's one of those things. I have a lot of grace uh, for. I have a lot of grace for those men. Um, sure. I have, and let me say this: I have a lot of grace for the uh, the European white men that feel as though um, <clears throat> there is a uh, there's kind of a a target on their back, particularly sure. when it comes to like social and political things that are going on right now. Um, I have a lot of grace because there's there is. If you're looking at the world, like, so for example, if you're, I'm going to say you're a 19 year old kid and you just got done leaving your college campus or class, excuse me, where you've been told that your, your ethnicity is essentially problematic, that it is the reason for uh, everything that's wrong in society. You being a European is fundamentally flawed, right? I I have a lot of, I, 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 I hate that you've gone this direction, but I have a lot of grace when you try to go to a place to receive strength. And so you go to these, you know, these forums online and you go oh, wow, to, yeah. you know Great what I'm point. saying? I have a lot of grace because you're, you're looking for something to, to hold on to, to give you strength. And by the way, apply that to the black man that was reaching for 
the more radical ends of the black liberation movement, by the way. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. He's his whole existence during that period of time was, you know, nigger this and and whatever that. And he's looking for some place to get strength. Now, he's looking in the wrong place, mm-hmm. but I get it. You know what I'm saying? Like he's looking at a place that is only tertiary is only in the 3d he's not looking for anything really spiritual at that point he's mostly looking for a might makes right type of situation so he's ganging up with his brothers he's he's become making himself formidable whatever the case is totally like i have grace on that guy because i know what he's i know where his mind is at but what you have to what i would say what we have to get to as men is to your point we have to get past the place of victimhood and even past that place of choosing to not be a victim and becoming physically strong and et cetera, we then have to go back to the people that we, that have done wrong and do what Christ did and forgive them and point them at a higher direction, point them at something higher. Now, granted, if they choose not to do that, then obviously they've drawn a line in the sand and you're, you're not, you know, exactly. See, see you later. Right. But I think that, I think that you as a man have an obligation that once you've received the wisdom that uh, that Satan is after each one of us, irregardless of race. Once you've received that, you have an obligation, I think, to reach across the aisle. And I think that's something it's clearly you've done the work in internally. And I think that all men moving forward with the way things are going, we're all going to have to get there. I mean, and I, frankly, man, I think we're going to have to get there sooner rather than later. I think it's... Um, I think the I think I think all the uh, return and and focusing on ethnic heritage and ethnic ethnocentric religion. I think a lot of like for, at least for right now, I think we need to put that on pause and we need to mm-hmm. do greater work. That's what I'm trying to say. This is and to bring it back to Christianity. This is why I really appreciate Christianity as a religion. You mm-hmm. know, Christianity like we'll contrast it, say, with um, some competing religions that currently exist in the men's space right now. So, you mm-hmm. know, not that people are men are seriously considering Buddhism, but there are a lot of New Age Buddhists, right? Right. So sure. the problem with the problem with Buddhism is that it's self denying. It's like you don't really exist. Your your mm-hmm. ego is a is an invention to cover up. You know, God just acting through you, and that's mm-hmm. not a solution for men to begin asserting themselves in terms of in terms of their wants and desires. It's self negating. So another wow. one is um, another is Islam, and while I don't have a, I don't have necessarily. I know that you and I share some Islamic or some Muslim friends. I yeah. think a lot of the spirit behind much of Islam is not to convert people in spirit, but the, a lot of the way Islam has gone, uh, particularly lately. And I'm, I maybe I'll get called out for that, and if I for this, and if I do, I, I welcome it. But to say it's to convert people by the sword. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and, mm-hmm. you know, that's not necessarily, I don't know that that's the approach that we need to have right now. And what I appreciate about Christianity is that it offers the opportunity to convert people in spirit and to universalize people through a tran- transformation, or as Jesus might say, or, uh, you know, the church fathers might say a circumcision of the heart. Yes. And I think that that's a very, very powerful, a powerful opportunity for men to strip away all the things that are secondary to who they are and mm-hmm. to see what truly unites them in spirit. Um, mm-hmm. through an, an inner transformation. And and I mm-hmm. think in that it becomes possible for men to set aside their racial differences or any differences for that matter, because they can point to something higher and they can say, that is what my allegiance to, is to. And if this person next to me also has the same allegiance, then our similarities are far, far greater than our differences. And I think Christianity, mm-hmm. especially as it's being practiced right now, as it's being remasculinized, yes. really has the opportunity to accomplish that, which is incredibly exciting. It is. It is. I, man, oh, 
What's so refreshing for me is I cannot believe the amount of people that are coming from the new age to Christ right now. Like, Amen. it's wild. Like, great. I get people in my DMs. I kid you not, Will. I get people in my DMs weekly from really? the new age. Yes. Yes. I had no clue. I had no clue. Um, when we first got started, I actually didn't have a clue that that's kind of the space that you would come from. Um, yeah. But I had no clue. Guys like Zenovio. Shout out to Zenovio. Uh, on Shout Instagram. out to Zenovio. Um, I had no clue that that's where he came from. Uh, you know, even even Blood and Rain. Uh, I, I, Arthur Dane. Oh, yeah, that's no, right. I had no clue, man. And I've had people in the DMs, men, women, saying, this all makes sense. I've been living a lie. Like, yeah. I'm returning. And it's like, like, like what a what a privilege it is to find ourselves at a time right now where we can we can come together under the confession that we don't have it all together. <laughs> no matter what race right. we're in, right that that that, that, right. that we actually have a greater enemy that is after each one of us, and that enemy is frankly. Here we go. There we go. We're putting on our hats. We're putting on the hats. Hats go on. Hats go on. Tim foil hats, baby. Hats are on. You know what I mean? That enemy is running our banking system, is running our political system. It's running. Look, I'm he's laughing. I'm listen, I'm not saying listen, we may get canceled. I'm, I'm laughing. Okay? I'm laughing at the hats. Oh, the hats are next level. Listen, <laughs> no. the, the, that that enemy is scripture calls him the prince of the power of the air. Right. Yeah. Wow. And he has been given dominion over the earth. He and, and it's evident when you read the temptation of Christ. He comes to Christ and he's offering him kingdoms. He's offering him prestige and power. Lust, I mean, essentially following the three main uh, sins of man, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. He tempts Jesus with each one of those things. Such and a so great scene. if you look at that and then you look at where we're at today. He's tempting us the exact same way. The lust of the mm-hmm. eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Those are the things that keep men from being successful. And that is by design. Mm-hmm. It's because of a globalist. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what did I just hear? That, sounds, that voice sounds so familiar. Who is that? Alex Jones just entered the chat. <laughs> oh, someday, man. Someday. <laughs> it's going to happen. <laughs> We got the hats you see what for I'm saying? I'll let you listen. I'll let you do. We we can take them off once you do. Once you respond to my tenfold rant, you do your no. Rant. No, I mean like this is. The, I've been I've been going much harder on this because um, around the notion of evil. Like, and you know what I really need to do is I need to do either a, a video podcast, a podcast, or some some sort of Instagram live where I define what I mean by that. Uh, because I think that the word evil has been kind of overused and has been compromised that people don't really know what it is. Mm-hmm. And so, and so I guess I take it for granted that I, I know what it is because I spent a long time thinking about it. In fact, um, when I first started thinking about evil, I was like 18 years old. I remember the exact moment where I started thinking about like, what does evil mean? I was mm-hmm. in a, I went to a Catholic high school and the, the question came up. It's too long of a story to tell, but I started thinking about the, the, how, Someone had said at my Catholic high school that a good definition for sin is you know it's wrong and you do it anyway. Yeah. Okay. That's that, right. I can get I can get down with that. Yeah. And so it's like but most of us, like I was examining myself and my own feelings, and it's like when I sin or when I do something that I know is wrong and do it anyway, 
it's out of weakness. It's out mm-hmm. of something that's like, I lack the strength to do the right thing. Right. And that's, I think that's pretty human. And mm-hmm. I think that's most people, but like, it's undoubtable that there are people on earth that are far outside of the realm of our experience, mm-hmm. hopefully that look at the thing to do that know the right thing and know the wrong thing, choose the wrong thing because it's the wrong thing because yes. they derive some sort of satisfaction or pleasure from causing harm. They enjoy that. They enjoy the transgression. They enjoy that feeling. We hopefully none of us know people like that, but just because we don't know people like that doesn't mean those people don't exist. Exactly. Right. And so that's what I, that's what I mean by evil, that there are people who choose to do the wrong thing, who choose to cause harm out of a perverse satisfaction they get from causing suffering. Mm -hmm. And like, You can't like logically, you can't deny that that's a thing. And the thing is, is once you start looking into notions of like child sacrifice and all that, you start seeing that like there are these cults throughout history that you can't say that sacrificing a baby is like, well, you know, like we were just too weak or something like that. Or here, here's a great example. We've got the hats Mm -hmm. on, you know, like child, child trafficking. And by child trafficking, I, I, uh, I mean a broad realm of things that I'm not going to name. Right. Like, but we'll just mm-hmm. broadly ca- under child trafficking. Fair. No one is, yeah, no one is going to traffic a child and be like, you know what? Like, I'm just too weak to resist this. Maybe they know that they're doing the wrong thing. They know thing. what they're doing. Yeah. They know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. And it's a mm-hmm. disgusting topic. But the mm-hmm. thing is, and this is, this is why I think people really struggle with the notion of evil is that they don't have the stomach to really look at it. And I respect that and I honor that. And as men, you have to develop the stomach to look at this stuff. You have yeah. to, because if you're not willing to look at it, nothing is going to make sense. No. Why are they? Why are they trying to do uh, an unnecessary medical interve- intervention on five to eleven year olds to pro- for on children to mm-hmm. protect the elderly? That doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make sense. It doesn't make doesn't any make sense, sense unless no. unless some component of it is to cause suffering is to mm-hmm. cause harm for benefit. Not all of it, because obviously some people are in it for the profit and don't care. They're cold, they're ice cold, but there's got to be some component of people that enjoy seeing the suffering as horrifying as that idea is. Mm-hmm. What could that suffering possibly be used for? Why would you be torturing a population? Are mm-hmm. you capable of imagining these things? Mm-hmm. Because guess what? Like The world is a lot darker than a lot of men want to realize. And mm-hmm. only by recognizing that darkness can you punch through and come to see the light. Because if, some, if if that much darkness exists, then there has to be a balancing light force. And the other way is the black pill. And I'm not a black pill guy. No. And there's too no. much goodness in our lives anyway. So, but the, until you see this perspective, the, the 2021 does not make sense. But as soon no. as you do, it makes a lot of sense. It all makes sense. And then, but then, <laughs> but, then but but then here's the cost. The cost is pride. Yes. The cost is recognizing like I've been so wrong about everything because I've denied whatever, I've denied religion, I've denied spirituality, I've denied God, I've denied Christ, pick it. You know, I've done it publicly. I've said these things don't exist over and over and over again. It's like a lot of people would rather be dead than they would rather be than wrong. They, they would <laughs> rather die before they said they were wrong. And that's a damn shame. That's a God damn shame. those guys. Because yeah. the thing is, you, you can really put them in the, you know, uh, shout out to Physique Father. You can really put yeah. them in the, I'm going to make it. He's crushing it, dude. And, and yeah. he's, he, he and I have talked a lot. And what I really respect about him is that this is a guy that looked at Black Pill, looked at the abyss, as you okay. said, and he is now coming out of the other side, trying to oh. genuinely give men a reason to 
to live and fight against whatever the demise is. Whatever you Ooh. pick your imagination, pick your conspiracy theory. He's legitimately <laughs> trying to do that, right? Um, and and I love that about him. But he he had a post of guys that aren't going to make it. <laughs> I saw that. Good. Dude, he crushes. He cr- he says all the things that I wish I could say, and he's consistent too. It's amazing. He doesn't care. And, well, the thing is, he <laughs> he and we have talked about that because what what he and so this is a con- this is a conversation that a lot of content creators are having is sure. specifically ones that are of the more maybe conservative angle is how abrasive to be, how right. how how uh, intense to be, and. Yes. I told I'm him, familiar with this. You're familiar with this conversation. Could mean you had this conversation. Yeah, um, yeah. And and we do, and we deal with guys that are are more abrasive. And so generally speaking, the the way that you and I have have attempted to try to do this is we know we know, okay? We know what's going on, we're aware, right? But we're trying to we're trying to do as much good while we can, and the best way to do that is not get canceled. That's the reality of the situation. We sure. can get, right. we can kind of dance with some things and, and maybe get canceled off some stuff. But the reality is we have to be above it in some respects to help the, the most amount of men that we possibly can. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's that guy. More calibrated, probably more like a Tanner Guzzi, you know, Ryan Mickler, that lane. Then you have the BAPs of the world. <laughs> and, yes. Bronze Age pervert. Right. 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 And, and those guys are coming at your neck. They don't really care, right? Care. And and yeah. and and they can afford to some extent to do that because of uh, them being anonymous. And That's right. so so when when you put your face on the line, uh, put your name on the line, you have to. I would argue it's important to be a little bit more calibrated if you want to stay in it. You have to, right? Yeah. Because um, the rules of engagement. The reality is here's here's the reality is that the all right tenfold hat coming off. The reality yeah, is, is that that. Um, the rules of engagement are dominated by the people that are at the behest of Satan. Okay. I yeah, said it. I agree. Those mm-hmm. are the people that are setting the rules of engagement. Those are the guys, frankly, those are the guys that run a lot of these companies, tech companies, whatever. So the rules of engagement are don't say anything too offensive. And if you, if you, and if you do say something that's really offensive, then you need to make sure that you've got like Dave Chappelle, that you're, You've got a long history of being that kind of guy. But if you're one of these guys just coming up and you immediately go towards the offensive, you're knocked off the, the block. I don't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I just <laughs> want to insert that it's not just the people running the companies and it's the artificial intelligence that does word scanning, right? Facts. Which I think does, does you know, because if you look on whatever Microsoft Word or you like Grammarly or whatever, like it's able to read tone, it's able to read all this stuff. And so wow. those AIs are obviously running through social media, probably through, um, it's definitely doing word recognition on Instagram we've seen like you know little covid posts putting at the bottom of things that seem unrelated because it's scanning the words and yeah. then there's also the, so there's that some level of artificial intelligence and then there's the people who if you say something wrong and they get alerted to you then they report you so it's like a whole right. army of people you know what i mean it's so army. Not, not just not just well not just not just zuckerdoodle it's like it's you know it's <laughs> <laughs> hat comes up you got my, my hat fell off man i knocked the hat off <laughs> Zucker, Zucker poodle. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> no, no. Well, it's 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 the machine that he's built, right? And it's the machine that a lot of those guys have built. To your point, um, yes. And so, and so, where does that leave us? Well, if we want us, if we want to stay in it, if we want to be involved in, let's say, the culture war. But I think that's that's a tired way to look at it. I think it's more. Yes. I think, frankly, it's it's a 
it's it's a it's a, I mean, it's a war on good and evil is really what, what it comes down to. Um, yes. But but um, if you want to stay in that, because this is a it's a it's a verbal war. It's a cerebral war. It's not really yep. physical. If you want to stay in that, you have to be um, you have to be cunning. You have to. I mean, scripture says, you know, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves when he's talking to his disciples. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He said, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. And so therefore be as wise as serpents and as gentle as doves. And what he means by that is, is that you need to understand, you need to understand what those guys are up to, what the serpents are up to. And you need to take that level of cunning and apply it to your genteel nature, apply it to the principles of truth, beauty, and goodness. And I think that that's the direction that many of us are going to have to go if we're going to be as effective as, as we ought to be, I think right now. Yes. And to the point about anonymity, like, you know, that I go pretty hard on this subject, you know, and, and you mentioned Bronze Age pervert and, and I love his writings and I think he's able to pull off anonymity because he does such a good job. His content is so philosophical, so refined, so intelligent that I think he earns his anonymity. But I think that there are a lot of men in the sphere who are anonymous, who just use it as an excuse to say sort of whatever they want. You know, it's like, well, I'm anonymous and I can just kind of pop off and don't really have to put any thought into it. And mm-hmm. I don't I don't think that's an appropriate reason to be anonymous. And and I think the best reason, this is the point that I always push to men, is like, look, people, when, when it really comes down to it, no one is going to follow someone who's anonymous. I have to, I will yeah. not follow someone who's anonymous. I have to see your eyes. Mm-hmm. I will look into your eyes and I will, I will look at your face and I'll be able to tell instantly if you're congruent or not. You know, mm-hmm. posting a posting shirtless pics or whatever, you know, is great for showing that you are you are um, you know that you pass the law of post physique, right? It shows that you're <laughs> it shows that you take care of your temple or your your physical temple or vehicle. But when it comes to leading men into like a cultural battle, like really leading men, I got to see your eyes. Mm-hmm. And so every man who's anonymous, as as valuable as your ideas might be, when push really comes to shove, no one's going to follow an anonymous creator on Instagram. They have mm-hmm. to, or, or Twitter or whatever, they mm-hmm. have to, they have to see who you are. And I think that's appropriate. So, yeah. and, and, you know, as it turns out, the men who that are uh, anonymous sort of paint themselves into a rhetorical corner anywhere where their check, their mouth can write checks, their body can't cash. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So it's like they, they will have, they will rise and they'll hit a ceiling, but mm-hmm. the men like, like Mickler, like Tanner, you know, uh, like you and me, God willing, or Jack or whatever, who put their names and faces and reputations on the line those men have already been so thoroughly vetted in the public sphere that when the time comes, it'll just be like, yeah, those guys. Right. And so that's the thing. Like if you have larger aspirations to lead once things, you know, once things transition into whatever next state, you know, you got to take off the mask and that's just how it is. I don't make the rules, you know, you have to, you have to allow yourself to be vetted. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, man. Um, Another, uh, sorry, we're going off. This is this is racist. We're talking about everything. Another That's what we always do. <laughs> it's fine. Me, you know what's funny? Me and you like to talk, don't we? We do. <laughs> we should do. We should do a podcast together. I don't know. Maybe maybe, maybe we'll consider doing that. It's probably we'll talk about better. it. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably um, a lot of work. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and and, and what's an anacron or anacron? Anac. I think it's anacron. anacron. I have no idea. Yeah. Such a cool, cool mind. I mean, mm. I went on his page just like uh, the other week and I was just like, he, I like his writing a lot because it's, uh, mm-hmm. his, his, his focus is on being apolitical and being more community oriented, which I really, I really admire and respect uh, because I think 
And I'm going to circle it back to the black yeah. community. I actually think that in order for us to become effective, we're going to have to become apolitical at some point. And I don't necessarily mean that we stop voting. Maybe. I mean, that's up to your right, conviction. Right, 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 but right, right, I, right. but I, I think, I mean, do our votes really matter anyway? You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Put it back. No one. <laughs> probably. Probably. Who knows? <laughs> probably not. Right. But the, the, the point is, I think we're going to have to get apolitical and we're going to have to, to really focus on, okay, what are the fundamentals of a thriving culture? And the fund, the fundamental of that is families. That's the fundamental mm-hmm. is man and woman raising children and then yep. those children being a part of a larger ecosystem. And then that family being a cornerstone economically for something. Right. Maybe that family's known for baking pies. I mean, and, I, and it's funny because human beings, natural inclination is actually towards a, being apolitical or being agorist or however you want to call it. We're, we're kind of inclined that way. So when you go to let's say you go to. Uh, you go to the hood or you go to like a predominantly black community and you look and you examine the behavior, you can actually see neighbors taking care of neighbors. You can see yes. that happening. Now it's, now it's broken, right? Cause it's neighbors taking care of neighbors because maybe father's not around or mom's not around or whatever, but, um, but it is there. And I think that that's, that's, it's a good thing. And I think how much more powerful could we be if the fathers were there? If the oh, yeah. father really rooted and grounded themselves in the community, kind of like that clip I showed, uh, put on my IG, I put on, um, if you haven't seen this movie, I, I recommend it. Anybody that's watching or listening uh, boys in the hood. Mm-hmm. And it was a guy by the name of, uh, hang on. The director's name is escaping right. John Singleton. That's the director's name. Oh, I haven't and heard he, that name in so long. Yeah. He was the man for a while. He was the man. He was the man. Yeah. Well, he put out a lot of movies in the nineties, but the, boys in the hood, was his his most popular work and it won a lot of awards. And the reason why was because it were two things. The story of John Singleton was he's from South Central LA, made mm-hmm. it to a prestigious film school and wrote this while, I think shortly after he left film school, pitched it to, I think it was Sony uh, and they wanted to buy it from him and then get another guy to produce it. He was like, no, I'm not going to sell yep. it. I'm from South right. Central. It's important that I tell the story. I'm going to do it on my own. Ended up making way more money anyway. Um, yeah. But the point was, is that what he wanted to showcase in that movie was the trajectory of young men, whether they had their father at their house and whether they didn't have their father at the house. And it culminates with the young man that has his father played by Cuba Gooden Jr. And Lawrence Fishburne is his dad. His name is uh, Furious Styles. Um, it culminates with him going off to college, having a successful relationship with his girlfriend, et cetera. But it shows the boys, the young men who did not have their fathers around. One brother uh, was in gang life pretty heavy. And the other brother had his hopes of going into uh, to play college ball and then eventually to the NFL. But because of the brother's gang life involvement, he ends up getting shot and killed at the end. And that brother tragedy. It's a huge tragedy, but it's, it, it is the story of South or was the story of South central LA at that time, because this is during the, 
the crack epidemic. This is when, you know, the Rodney King stuff was happening and, and police brutality and the rest of it, like legitimate police brutality, not just some, yeah, dude, yeah, yeah, yeah. some dude was stealing some stuff. Right. And then he gets, yeah. he gets, he gets dealt with. Right. I'm talking about legitimate excessive force, which is an actual issue that we could talk about if it wasn't being racialized, but I digress. It's kind of like, that's what they want us to do. Right. The subject of men and jewelry is a tricky thing. As my friend and style coach Tanner Guzzi might say, it's best to stick with accessory pieces that have personal meaning to you rather than wearing jewelry just to wear it. But how can a man find a meaningful piece in a sea of cookie-cutter garbage? The answer is hand craftsmanship and one-of-a-kind wearable works of art. Which brings me to our sponsor, Deepwell Designs. The proprietor Thomas William handcrafts silver and precious stone pieces to meet your specifications. He's been making them for over 20 years, having learned lapidary and silversmith basics from his grandfather. And the results are spectacular. His pieces sing with style, quality, and care. On his website, you can see rings, necklaces, bracelets, cuffs, pendants, belt buckles, and more, and pieces for both men and women, even though it's too late to get them for the holidays. I'm picky about who I choose as sponsors for my podcast, and Thomas meets all my requirements. I met him in person recently and saw his jewelry. I asked, where did you get that? And he said he made it, and that was that, which is why I'm thrilled to introduce you to him today. I'd say more, but rather than telling, I prefer to show you what I mean. So visit deepwelldesigns.com or head to Instagram at deepwelldesigns00 and use the code RENOFMEN for 15% off any piece including custom orders. If you don't see anything you like, just message, and I bet Thomas can make it for you. Once again, that's deepwelldesigns.com or deepwelldesigns00 on Instagram and use the code RENOFMEN for 15% off. As men, I believe it's important to support our fellow creators, so I hope you'll take a minute to help a talented one out. Thanks so much, and let's get back to the podcast with Jonathan West. Yeah. <laughs> I love that the hats is coming off. <laughs> no, you know, I really appreciate you explaining that movie to me because I saw it, but I saw it so many years ago and I remember loving the movie and just the end of that movie is so heartbreaking because, you know, you see like there's the spectrum, right? There's the Cuba Gooding Jr. character who's going to make it out. There's the, I think it's Ice Cube, right? The Ice, Ice Cube, Cube character. Yeah. He's clearly not going to make it out. And then there, and then there's the, the brother into football and he's kind of like going back and forth, you know, across mm. like, is he going to make it? Is he not going to make it? And it's just, yeah. you kind of see the spectrum. And I remember that, but I didn't, I, at the time I wouldn't have even connected it to have anything to do with fathers, but I get it that you're absolutely, that you're absolutely right. And, and, you know, that was, that was a time, like, well, I remember one of the first bands that I really, really liked, um, you know, just if we can start moving our way back to Travis Scott, which is kind of cool, yeah. is, okay. is well, because I think it all ties together. I really yeah. liked Public Enemy. Now, Didn't, granted, yeah. I, I was a white kid growing up in Phoenix, going to a Catholic <laughs> high school, Catholic Jesuit <laughs> high school. So what Public Enemy was talking about could not be further from my experience. Right? right? There's just nothing that Public well. Enemy, <laughs> nothing that they have to say that has anything to do with my life. But when you go back and listen to Public Enemy and, and, and consider movies like Boys in the Hood and stuff like that, compared to you know the the media that's being produced by so many of the or on behalf of the black community for the black community like travis scott or whatever it's a night and day kind of difference night and day you know difference. it's like it is a night, night and day, day difference day. it's like let's mm-hmm. actually let's actually look at things and now it seems like it's kind of like papered over you know and, and mm-hmm. it seems like the actual legitimate social struggles that were being captured in film and music 
have just been kind of thrown away and replaced with this cheap kind of like, gosh, it's like the worst kind of consumerism. I don't really know how else to describe it. You know, it's, 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 and so it's like, so we started the conversation and you said something really interesting. You said that, you know, that Travis Scott's music or, or, or rap or whatever, whatever the genre name is speak, spoke, originally spoke to an experience of the black community that we all had growing up. And so it was something that you felt very tied to, but now it's not something that you feel tied to anymore because no. it's not, is it not part of your experience anymore? Cause what caused the severing of that loyalty? Cause that's a deep loyalty. Well, it's funny. So it's, so I always, I, I tell people this all the time that, that because we're like post post, like we're post slavery, post civil rights, right. That okay. uh, my experience as a black man is actually quite different than someone that maybe grew up, grows up in South central LA or Compton or, you know, uh, the, any kind of ghetto experience because I grew up in the burbs. So my experience actually right. is probably more similar to yours in a lot of ways. Sure. Um, you know, went to a private school, ended up going to a private college. So it's, it's, it's probably more similar to yours. Um, but, but what those films okay. did in some ways, right. Um, I can see that. You know what I mean? Um, obviously I'm a black guy in a, you could say I'm a black man in a white space. So it's, it's different in that way. But, but I, I think, if, if you want to talk about maybe values and yeah, I think we'll go with that. If you want to talk about values, I think they're rough. They were roughly the same. Um, roughly. Now I don't know the ins and outs, everything. You Yours and mine. You mean Yours and mine. Yes. Are the same. Yeah, for sure. But my values were never ghetto values as a black guy. Got it. Okay. But watching movies like boys in the hood made me understand what men that look like me, but they didn't have the same cultural experience as me oh, or going wow. through. And that connected me to them, to my kin, because they are yep. my kin, right? Yep. And gave me a reason to really understand the situation. Okay. So you fast forward to today and ghetto culture is not, is not seen as a tragedy anymore. It's seen right. as the actual prize. It's aspirational. Yes, if you were a suburban black black man and you don't have hood ghetto tendencies, mm. you're number one not really a man, but number two, you're yep. not really black. Wow, so because bad. ghetto culture is tied up with blackness. So to be black is to be ghetto in in 2020, 2021. and that's not that wasn't the case in the nineties. Again, to your point, we had the we had that dichotomy within that movie within the same movie. You had yeah. Furious Styles, who, granted, he was, I think his house was in South Central, but it was in a nicer part of South Central because he was a financial planner. So he did better for himself. He left, he left the environment that he was from so that he could be, you know, be a benefit to his community beyond just hanging out with them. And in fact, that's one of the things in the movie. They say, uh, they see uh, his son and the, the, the mom actually of Ice Cube is in the movie. Uh, she said, why, why Furious don't hang out with us no more? You know, he don't ever play cars no more. And, mm-hmm. and, and you can feel that as, again, as a black man, you can understand that kind of, oh man, like, like I really would love to stay and, and have this kind of community experience, but on behalf of me being a, a bigger benefit to my community, I have to leave. I've got to go yeah. do something different. You know what I mean? Um, and so you have, my point is you have that tension in the movie, but now there's mm-hmm. actually no tension to be again, to be a black man and to be doing, uh, to be doing 
well in dentistry to be doing well as an accountant sure. to be doing well as a management ma manager at a high uh higher ed institution i mean you you're looked at as not really being part of the culture and so you have to, in order for you to be a part of the culture again you kind of have to get in line with the political political views or social views of the culture that's the way that you get back in. it's like okay you left where you're from you know, or maybe you never lived here. You're white unless unless you adopt our political social worldview and then you can be brought back in and might actually be an asset to us, but not with anything different. Don't don't come over here telling me that the way that I can you know, build my the way that I can best uh, move my family forward is to, you know, start an LLC. Don't come over here with that. Like mm -hmm. come over here with conversation about reparations come over here having a conversation about the white man's out to get us come over here having a conversation about police are hunting us if you don't have that we don't want to hear you because you're talking white that's the wow. fact and people don't want to admit that people don't want to say that that's what's going on that's what's been going on and i'm i'm, I'm a living witness i'm a living witness that that is exactly the conversations that i've had with people in my own family people in my own family does that make you mad that would make me mad uh it it did but i have i've married a wonderful woman and we have a wonderful son and we have a a life that is ours and it's a i would say it's a wonderful life but i don't want people to get the wrong idea to think that you know that that moving over here is pie in the sky and there's no struggles it's like no nah, man like there's struggles on this side as well um the 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 point that i'm only trying to make is that it's ours and that we've made right. a deliberate decision to live differently and to do different and to do different things, experience different things. And so because of that, I'm very, I'm very happy. Um, I'm very fortunate. I've got a lot of joy. I've got a lot of contentment uh, in, in my life because um, there are people in my family that made fun of the way that I talked and the way that I carried myself. Um, and, you know, they're on, you know, second, third, fourth marriage. Right. And, <sighs> you know, no real money in the bank, still working a, a wage job, which is no, no problem with wage jobs. But it's like sure. if, if your metric for success was acting black and you're in no better position financially, socially, politically, spiritually than me, um, you're actually in a worse position in each one of those metrics. Then what then what does that really profit you? The, the code of acting black. Like, what is that? What does that really gained you at the end of your life? Right. A few a few, you know, black fist emojis, a few pounds. Like, what does it mean? What does it mean if you actually can't benefit and push the the your the generation that's in front of you ahead? What's it worth? And from my perspective, not much. This is really gosh, this is it's first of all, you know, I honor you as a man and your integrity to continue following your path forward to be the man and to be the father uh, and husband that you want to be, that you feel called to be, because there are a lot of people in many communities that want to make similar decisions to move forward on a path of integrity, accountability, we'll say self-development mm -hmm. um, and even holiness. Um, yeah. But that, but they're afraid to make those decisions because they're afraid of the social scorn that, um, that you've clearly had to deal with. And so I mm -hmm. just want to honor you for being able to stand up to that because um, that's true strength. So I just, I honor you, Jonathan. Thank you. Thank you, man. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. 
Yeah. So what my, my, um, gosh, my mind goes in a whole lot of different directions with that. I mean, the first, the first is like, okay, you know, I can put myself into your shoes and say that my response would be, um, okay, well, I'm just going to break away from, from you, my family members or my culture or whatever. And yet at the same time, none of us can ever really break away from our cultures because it's still a part of us. We can't, we, you mm-hmm. know, we can't cut off our own legs. And so there must've been some struggle um, on your part to learn like, well, how do I integrate this aspect of myself into myself so that I can move so in a way like, so I can move forward and let it go. Yeah. So I can take what I need and, and leave the rest. And I, but I also, I also feel the need to say that, um, you know, one of the things, and you and I have talked about this, that one of the things that really uh, prevents open discussion between the races about what's going on within different communities, really any, any ethnic community, any background community is the knowledge that there are people that will take things that are shared in good faith and use them and use that knowledge, not in good faith, use truth, mm-hmm. use truth as a weapon. So I just feel the need to, um, to say to the people listening that if you're tempted to use any of this knowledge to justify your own existing beliefs, um, I will just be very honest right now and say you're a piece of shit. So, <laughs> and I mean, yes, and amen to that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I would like to believe that there's no one listening to this podcast who would do such a thing, who would use it to uh, be smugly self satisfied and would instead uh, enter into the heart of grief around what it is to be um, struggling as a man and, and a human being against aspects of ourselves that um, are very challenging to un- understand, integrate members of our family that we want to bring along with us, that we want to share the best parts of ourselves with, but can't see them. Uh, I, I'd hope that we could all be in that space of um, grief and understanding around that um, rather than a space of advantage. So I do want to just say that first. Amen. Amen. And uh, yeah. So if you want to share a bit about your process or, or what you've had to go through to integrate the parts of your family that have been um, less, mm-hmm. uh, have been reluctant to come along with you, let's put it that way. Yeah. My parents have been, uh, great in this regard um they they knew what they they were a lot like i would say a lot like furious styles was in that movie you know what i mean they were very much um very much trying to make sure that um spiritually financially socially that i was in the right trajectory and they were willing to do that at the cost of being a part of the culture. I'm putting quotes because it's all BS. Is really what I know what you mean. Because yeah. what defines culture, right? Like, the, like what? Let's. I mean, let's really unpack that. Like, what does define yeah. culture? Like, what is it? Is it the music? Is it the? Uh, is it the clothes? Is it? Um, is it the vernacular? Well, if that's the case, if those are the things that define culture. And then the people that actually own the labels. Hold on, excuse me. Yeah, no, let's. Uh, let's people running the rap game. Hat goes right. on, right? The people that own the labels and own the music are not us. Is this our culture? <sighs> That's an brother. honest question. Yep, it is. If you're, if you're not, if if we are not directly profiting, ownership perspective, shareholders. If we are not gen- like genuinely profiting off of our music, unless you go independent, like somebody like Chance the Rapper or whatever, which it's funny, he's independent and he's got a completely different uh, lane that he's in, right? He's not even mm-hmm. going the. he's, I encourage you to listen to Chance the Rapper, but I, I don't want to digress too much off the point. Sure, I'll check what it out. I'm, what I'm trying to suggest is that if those things are given to us, right, 
if they're sold to us, I should say, if they're sold to mm-hmm. us, are they really ours? That's right. Are they really ours? Mm-hmm. And I would contend that they are not. They are not really ours. And they benefit the people that sell them because teenagers like to listen to aggressive shit. Yep. And deeper than that, tinfoil hat time, deeper than that, becoming a culture that celebrates murdering each other, mm-hmm. having illegitimate children, and damaging our communities is a benefit to people that are actually evil and want to do harm and increase suffering. Mm-hmm. They like that. They mm-hmm. enjoy that. Mm-hmm. And so I'm gonna take it off. The way the way that we the way that we move forward is we have to establish culture for ourselves by ourselves. Yes. And if we don't, if we don't come together and have that genuine conversation, we're gonna continue to be sold and continue to be fed a narrative that isn't necessarily ours. I mean, you got, bro, I'm going to tell you something. This is the funniest thing I've ever heard of. You've got kids that come from where I come from, come from the suburbs. They want to be ghetto. Mm-hmm. They want to be. They like it. They, 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 they walk around like they don't have anything. They talk like they don't have anything. And they end up becoming, they end up becoming this caricature of what they think someone from that part of town acts like. Mm-hmm. It's not even, and, and that's that's another thing is that sometimes it's not even legitimately how those people act. It's a it's a it's a mannequin. It's a caricature. It's it's what sells. It's an exaggerated expression of a re, of of some aspect of reality. And so, what I like to see for us is, and it's going to have to be men that do this. I, I would say mm-hmm. we're going to have to redefine the culture. We're going to have, it's going to have to be more of us that break away. And go into fringe areas, go into areas where it's maybe predominantly white or whatever, and and figure out who we are. I mean, it was just the other day I found out. Did you know the term cowboy was actually a derogatory term for black men that would do the herding for white men? No, I had no idea. Yeah. It's, no one would know. But the reality is, is that we look at a guy that like a black man say that has a farm and we say he's acting white. When actually he's acting more in alignment with his cultural heritage in this country than any of you. <laughs> same with hunting, same with farming. I mean, I could go, I could go down the list. But what happened? And this is you. You asked me this. Um, so, the book "Up from Slavery" by Booker T. Washington. Mm, yeah, great book. It's his, it's his uh, self-authored biography. In this book, he talks about after the emancipation that blacks that left the plantation didn't they left quote unquote destitute perhaps because they didn't have any means of production like in their sure. pockets but they had the know-how to do the hard labor so what did they do mm-hmm. many of them went into enterprise for themselves for themselves madam mm-hmm. cj walker being one of those black hair care um G- george washington carver being another one with uh, his work with peanuts and the like and coming up with different recipes and different concoctions. The point that I'm trying to make here is that in order for us to really be able to begin the work of rebuilding our cultures, that we've got to get back in touch with our creativity, our creativity, both from a labor standpoint 
and from, you know, in any kind of creative endeavors that we have. And we have to do it for ourselves. We're going to have to do it independently. It's going to be a lot of entrepreneurs that we're going to have to uh, muster up because the reality is, is that our culture is bought and paid for and sold to us for ten ninety nine per disc. Yep. Right. Oh, not this. Right. We don't do discs anymore. But ten ninety nine <laughs> per downloadable, streamable, cloud friendly uh, 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 album. And yeah. so we're, we're going to have to get industrious again. And uh, I think there needs to be a lot more black men that are I, I mean, I, I, I joke, but I, I every guy I come in contact with, I say, if you're a black man in America, you need to have an LLC. It doesn't necessarily mean you need to do all of that yourself, right? That that's your only means of income, but you need to have a family business because because if you're actually going to leave your kids with something, you legitimately want to leave your kids with something, leave them with a skill set, leave them with a family trade that they can either sell or they can continue to practice when you're gone. Because that's the that's the real way. And we've talked about this on the podcast before. That's 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 cultural influence. That's mm-hmm. being a part of a community is being able to provide the community with something that they they want to use and something that they want to use so bad that they're willing to part way with their dollars for. Um, and I think if we do more of that, kind of going back to Anacron's point, uh, Anacron, however you say it, you, you know, your right. name. if you're listening, know. you know your name. <laughs> Shout out to you, whatever your name is. <laughs> Shout out to you, whoever you are, however you say that. Um, but to his point, that's how you become a staple. And I think yeah. I think a lot of that was going on um, prior to, you know, forced integration and all that. So, we, I mean, that's a rabbit trail in itself. But prior to that, we, we, there were a lot of black owned businesses. And the reality is no one cared whether you were black or white with those businesses. Was the product good? You're right. right. Can you can you can you fix my landscape in such a way that it looks good or not? If you can, here's some dollar. Now, I may not like you because you're a black man, but. I respect you for what you've provided to me. Respect mm-hmm. you enough to to do right by you in this way. And that's really what that's really what what we need. We don't need validation. We need people to do right by us. And the way that we do that I think is we become a, a staple in communities again. Mm-hmm. What a beautiful I image. I, I don't even know if I answered your question. I don't even remember what the question was. <laughs> no, you. I mean, you. 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 You hit the. You hit the. You hit the nail on on the head with a sledgehammer, right? So it's like the question was the question was in there somewhere, and you just brought the thing down. Like I got it. Million pieces of it. I'm sorry, man. No, no, like that's not a, no, the thing is, is that you said like the things that you say are always so much more interesting than the questions that I could possibly ask because I only know a limited knowledge of what I could possibly ask about. And you touched on something really important when we were talking about, you know, the black, the culture that's being forced on black people. It's like, well, is this something that black people have themselves created and invented and decided on amongst themselves? Or is this something that was crafted for them and sold to them? And that in many cases they were guilted and shamed into adopting. And that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's the real problem. It's like, is it, is it actually yours or is it some caricature? And like, well, like, um, like a uh, Thomas soul. And I think we probably talked about Thomas soul on one of oh, our podcasts, yeah. you know, black rednecks, 
you know, yeah, calling nice. it out. Yeah. Like, look, this is, this is ghetto culture. Like, and that's yeah. a, that's a fair word, you know, cause mm-hmm. ghetto doesn't necessarily mean black people. It was a, it was a thing in like Germany or Eastern Europe or something it for was. Jews. Like, yeah. yeah, it's, it's like a segregated ethnic community, right. Mm-hmm. Um, of generally of lower income. And so it's like ghetto culture. It's like, this is what, that's what that is. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't, it's, it, there's nothing, there's nothing, you know, necessarily racial about it. It's adopting no. a specific set of values around, as you said, around, uh, around uh, murder, around drugs and alcohol and partying and casual sex and misogyny mm-hmm. and violence and all this stuff. And it's like, <laughs> cause I go to my gym and like, and it's a boxing gym and they've got that stuff on all the time. And I just, I can't listen to it. It's like, yeah. how can anyone listen to this? Yeah. It's the most yeah. anti-human values. It's, it's, and to feel that being pumped in and I know like, and that's the stuff that's just playing through like Spotify or Pandora. I know there's stuff out there that would never get on Spotify or Pandora. That's way, way worse and way, way more worse. hardcore. Yeah. And it's like, it's, you know, the stuff that's popular is, is just the barest reflection of that. It's like, that's what's being pumped into the community. And, 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 you know, granted there are many communities that have many different toxic kinds of music. Like you can listen to black metal or you can listen to a lot of, you know, a lot of electronic music certainly has really degraded kind of like drug centric value. So it's not exclusive to this community, but to hear it and to be, and to know the social effects of it specifically yeah. is heartbreaking. It's, it's, yeah. it's, re, it's really terrible. It's hard to separate from, Will. I'm gonna be honest with you, man. I told you, yeah. I, I broke up with I broke up with rap after the Travis Scott thing, but that's Damn. been a long time coming. My dad for years, my dad for years has been like, "You got to put that stuff away. It's not good for your soul." And I told your him, dad, I, "Yeah," and he's right. I mean, my dad's a pastor, uh, and he's dead on, and he exactly, he's my dad, and he cares about the constitution of my soul. And right. I, as a young man thought that's i mean yes but i can listen to it while i work out right it's war music i need war music in order to feel pumped up and there's some truth to that i mean you do need you you do need a kind of thumatic experience and i think that's kind of the the hook is that the 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 music and the beat is um is thematic is not necessarily heroic but it's definitely barbaric you know what i mean it definitely taps into that that animal hyper masculine Hypermasculine, hypermasculine, void of morality, void of consciousness, uh, yeah, or conscience, <laughs> I should say, and that's and both, the, right, right, and that's kind of, and that's 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 kind of the problem is that, um, what do you do with your testosterone when it's pumped like that? Well, if you're listening to music that's talking about you know fucking bitches and getting money, then you act in obedience to that. You fuck these yeah. bitches and you get money. And it's the who we've become is no surprise because we're following essentially a Pied Piper leading us toward a path of destruction. Mm-hmm. And that's in the music. Like we're we're obeying the music. I don't think people recognize that who we have become and who we are is is in our, our even our thoughts, man, our thoughts is so tied to what we consume, whether it's music or whatever, is so tied to what we consume. Like we become Absolutely. what we behold is what a pastor said. We become yes. what we look at. And I just can't look at it anymore and in good faith say, I want to be a good father and a good husband. It's like, dude, but you're, you're, the music you're listening to is pointing you in an opposite direction, my guy. Like that's yeah. not, your music is not true north. Your music is like way down south. Like you, you, you know what I'm saying? You're talking about generational wealth and this guy's talking about fuck bitches get money. It's like, you, you know what I mean? Like you yep. got to pick, yep. 
you got to pick your your path. And it's funny. Uh, I know you don't like Kendrick Lamar, but he's got this quote um, where he says, "I don't like what he's become. I don't like what he's yeah, become. He's, he's become pure globalist. He's dude. He, didn't he win the Nobel Prize I love or some him shit? So or- much, Will. Like, why can't we have anything? It makes me so bad. <laughs> oh, but dude, look at what Kid Cudi showing up in a dress. Like, you oh, know, it's gosh. like." God, I, mean, I remember. I remember when Kanye West did his like his, his last rant before he disappeared and was cloned. You know, yeah. he was like, he was like, Facebook lied to you, Google lied to you. That's yeah. such a brilliant speech. I have that saved. And then he's like, you know, Drake is a good artist, but you know, it was a great artist, Kid Cudi, and everyone goes nuts. And it's like that's yeah. who Drake, that's who can't, that's like Kanye respected like whatever set four or five years ago, yeah. and now Kid Cudi's in a dress. It's like, oh, we'll talk about selling out. What it's a sign! Selling out, and, that, and it's funny because you can see the sadness in his eyes in that picture yeah like you can see that man kid cuddy's broken and it's funny because he was actually yeah. what so all right so when he came out with man on the moon which is his first project he was very very like in a depressed state uh, you could say he's like a stoner kind of depressed state um fantastic album though sonically I mean, just <laughs> yeah that's what happens shit. right yeah and he gets picked up and it's funny. He gets, he gets money and then he decides I'm going to stop doing music. I want to focus on my wife and my, my kids. Oh, Fantastic. I, no, I, I know nothing about him. Okay. He's, he fell off the radar for like five years just to be a family man. Got brought Amazing. back in and they broke him. They broke Ugh. Cuddy. You can see it. You can see yep. it. And that's the thing, yeah. man. When you, when you meet these artists, when they first come on the scene, yes, do they have pride in them? Of course. Like when Kanye first came on the scene with College Dropout, that music is so damn pure and like so mm-hmm. oriented in a good direction for yep. for the community. It's it's undeniable. It's undeniable, yep. right? You feel it, and then you can feel it. Then he starts to feel himself, right? Maybe he sold. Maybe he sold his soul at this point. I don't know. But you start to feel himself in late registration, right? He's got. I ain't saying shit, gold. They ain't messing with yeah, no broke. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? He's he starting to feel himself a little bit. But it's like, okay, yeah. maybe Kanye's gonna kind of come back. And then he's got graduation, where he's in. Uh, was that stronger? And he says, uh, "What does he say? I don't know if you got a man or not. If you got plans or not. If God put me in your plans or not." I'm tripping. This drink got me saying a lot. Right. So he he went from being a a, a Christian artist that's kind of like a, a or not Christian artist, but a but a conscious rapper with a Christian bent, we'll say. Uh, OK. In college dropout to mocking God in graduation in just three mm-hmm. albums, in just three yeah. albums. He's turned a complete corner and they hooked him on his pride. And I think that's what they do with a lot of these guys. They come in. Yeah. Um, a lot of them, it's funny, man. A lot of them come in Christian and leave Satanists. I mean, this look. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Dude, they come in Christian. That's, <laughs> that's on. They come in Christian and they leave worshiping Satan. Yeah. And it's just the, the fact of the matter. Now, granted, you get some of these guys, you say, from the, from, you know, from the hood or whatever, and they're already kind of, from a pride standpoint, they know they're coming in talking about trapping, you know, fucking yeah. bitches getting money. They, they're coming in on that, right? And so it's easy to hook them, right? Easy. Got them. But you get mm-hmm. some of these conscious rappers, you could say maybe the more Brandon type rappers. Have we gone mm-hmm. over the Brandon Tyrone dichotomy here? On this podcast? I'm sure we have, but I mean, I don't That's think it. anyone would mind hearing it again if they or people who hear it for the first time. So if you want to do stereotypes, okay, you've got Brandon's. And Brandon's are, in, generally speaking, going to be your black man that grew up in the suburbs. Okay, um, mm-hmm. 
generally a little bit less aggressive. Um, you know, they 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 maybe listen to rap, but it's not like in their constitution in their so they're not really about that life, is what you would say. Right. Tyrone is about that life. Tyrone mm-hmm. is about it. And he grew up that way. He's about it, about it, big time. And so typically, you know, a little bit more hyper masculine or whatever. It's kind of the good, the good guy, bad boy dichotomy, but it's 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 real it's it's I won't I don't want to phrase this. It's so important to recognize in our community because it means it means social, economic, and political elevation or not. Essentially, mm-hmm. it's like if you go the, if you go the Brendan route, there's going to be more doors open to you, and you can be a big benefit to your community. If you go the Tyrone route, it's a dead end. You're going to jail, or you're going to die. I mean, that's really what it okay. comes down to. Quick, um, quick question about that, though. Okay, so yeah. the, like just as an example, you're talking like Will Smith versus like Dr. Dre or something like that. Like yeah, that sort of. Yeah, sort I of, think that's a fair okay. one. Yeah. Okay. Or even even if you, I mean, if you want to take it to more modern for anybody that's more modern, you could say the difference between Chance the Rapper and Lil Uzi Vert, right? Like Brandon okay. is Chance the Rapper, Lil Uzi Vert sure. is Tyrone. So yeah. or, or Twenty One okay. Savage, however you want to look at that. So um, that's the that's the but distinction there. And you're born, you're born like like you a brand, can a Brandon be made from a Tyrone, or are you born one or the other? I or would argue I you can, yeah, because there's plenty okay. of guys. That, like Dr. Dre, I would argue is probably more of a Brandon now than he was when he first came. Like you know, for what I mean? sure, Ice like he, Ice Cube as well. Ice Cube, <laughs> same, I mean, when you get when you get on Daddy Daycare, you know what I'm saying? You're in like Disney yeah. movies, like. You're you're not a Tyrone anymore, dude. You're, you're, you've you've cashed in your Tyrone. <laughs> you've chips. cashed in your Tyrone card. You are yeah. a Brandon. Okay, that's yeah, what it is, yeah, yeah. and that's okay. Like that's 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 okay. That's, He's that's a dad. A yeah, it's important. Like be a dad, be a father. You know, it, it's it, it's a good thing. It, it really is. Um, and I think a lot of a lot of brand a lot of Brandon types are looking at themselves as you know not you know from a because from a mating standpoint. Uh, the the bad guys get all the girls right while the sure. rapper name a rapper named Wale said uh what she said she said hood girls want a smart he says n word but hood girls want a smart dude college girls all want a thug and so there there's there's mm, this interesting yeah so right and so there's there's the good boy the good guy bad boy dichotomy in the black community is more weighty of a matter, I think, because of the implications, the ramifications from a society, yeah. social, political, and economic perspective, like it, it and spiritual even. It 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 just matters, right? And so if you right. if you're a Brandon sure. who catches in and tries to become a Tyrone, like you 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 sold your birthright. You know what I'm saying? Like you showed your opportunity to actually be a benefit to your community and, and more more importantly to yourself and to your family. Um, right. But if you're a Tyrone that is just going to stay in the Tyrone land and doesn't want to, you know, move to say a Brandon type of zone, then you're, you're in a box. Like that's where, you, that's where you got to stay. Like, you know what I mean? So um, that's the Brandon and Tyrone kind of dichotomous relationship. And what I think that, I don't even remember where we were going, but what I think is really important to note is that you have Brandon type of rappers. This is where we're going. You have you have Brandon type of rappers that come into like Kanye West came from the suburbs of Chicago, right? Yeah. A lot of rappers come from like not a lot, but there's a few rappers that come from like the burbs, right? Sure. Um, educated college, he was a college dropout, but he was smart enough to stay through college. Um, but, but the point that I'm making is they come in Brandon's uh, in a lot of cases, 
And then they got that kind of pride because pride is no respecter of where you come from. You're if you're a right. man living on this earth, you're always going to have pride and you start to kind of feel yourself and you feel like you need to, uh, you know, maybe adopt some of the vernacular or at least the the swag or whatever the case is of the Tyrone. And you kind of lose yourself in the midst of this. And I yeah. think that's when you set yourself up to make deals with the devil, because in order for you to get, you know, in order for you to get where you really want to go, because we need to target your market. We need to really mm. make sure that we're speaking to your community. So in order for us to target your market, we're going to really have to kind of change your aesthetic. I mean, just a little bit. All you have to do, all you have to do is maybe, you know, stop with the God talk so much. Maybe you talk more about money and 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 and, and cars and clothes and and that type of thing, because that that's that, that's what's really going to sell and target your market. That's what your people really want to talk about. And so let's let's get super focused on that for this next album. And, you know, we'll cut you another three year contract and we'll get you another Mm -hmm. album under your belt. Does that sound good? Mm -hmm. We'll make sure that you get a Grammy nomination as well. Does that sound okay? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what would you what? Right. You're already a starving artist because you're not making anything as an artist unless you're independent. You're not. And we'll take care of your family, too. Right. We'll take care of your family, get you that advance that you're looking for, get you nominated. All you got to do is just, you know, leave the guy talk out just, you know, just for two or three albums and yeah. we'll make sure that it's worth your while to do that. Does that sound OK? Mm-hmm. And that's that how up. it happens, bro. Like that's I like I've talked to enough guys. Truth. In the Truth. Industry. What do you say? Truth. Keep going. Yeah. I've talked to enough guys that are in the industry. That that's how it goes. Like that's wow. that, that is the deal that is made It's like essentially, you know, <laughs> simply stop trying to be a light in the world. And, you know, darken it up a little bit. That's what sells. Yeah. Darkness mm-hmm. sells. Debauchery sells. Degeneracy sells. Um, mm-hmm. And it's really important because your community really enjoys that kind of conversation. Because we don't want to we, we don't want to we don't want to talk about things that would, you know, you know, kind of muddy the waters. It sounds a little whitewashed, too clean. We want to make sure that it's authentic. We want to make sure mm. that it's real, that it's Fuck. genuine. That's the type of shit that they say, man. the truth lands the the truth lands when you say it like i hear it man i I know you're right and it's just like yo like what like what a what a raw deal what a raw deal in order for you to be this creative force that god has bestowed you with the ability to be able to create art is nothing short than a gift from god you are literally participating in creation when you're an artist You're you're like, that's how God, God is a creator, right? He's creative. And so you, you, you come to these labels and you, and you say, let me be who I am. Let me create this music and let me make a living doing it. And you get there and they let you kind of run for a little bit. And they say, Hey, if you want to go further, if you really want to take this to the next level, we need you to kind of switch up the swag a little bit. We need you mm-hmm. to kind of focus less on the art and more on it being a benefit to people. And let's just focus on what consumer demand is and what our shareholders want. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you sign that contract. And next thing you know, you're, you know, butt naked in a pool with, you know, transvestite models. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's the word that came to mind when you were saying all that is seductive. It's seductive. Like they don't come in saying, Hey, you know what? We need you to put on this dress and we need to do all this stuff. Cause then people will be like, no, that's crazy. But mm-hmm. piece by piece, they wear you down. You know what I mean? They make the offer. Oh, Hey, let's think about this deal. Don't have the God talk so much. You know, there's a party at my place later on. Why don't you come? And then mm-hmm. there are the models. 
mm-hmm. you know, they're the, they're the girls, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And suddenly mm-hmm. it's like, Oh, okay. You know, stuff gets whispered, stuff gets smoked or snorted or whatever. And it's like, Oh, yeah, I can man. get, I can get used to this just playing on the ego. And it's like, Oh, I don't need, I don't need God. You know, what do you mean? This guy's going to make me all the deals I want. And it's just, a, it's, it's, I mean, that's the beginning and it kind of culminates in the, in the mm-hmm. dress, you know, like the dress isn't, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm curious how they got, how they got cutty over that, like what they, what they had on them, but I don't want to speculate. Yeah. But it's like, yeah. well, I don't know, that's the end. That's the end result when you see the black man wearing the dress. That's not the beginning. You know what I mean? No. So it just, it's, it's seductive to take it, to take control of, like you say, you said it very rightly, these men and women's creative gifts and channeling it towards darkness. And you can feel it. You mm-hmm. can feel it. And I, mm-hmm. I think that, and I think the saddest thing, um, I, I, before I go into the saddest thing, I did want to say the interesting part is like, you know, I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with fuck, fuck bitches get money. But the problem is you can fuck <laughs> bitches and raise happy children and get money and save it and invest in generational wealth. <laughs> I got him. Got him. Mic drop. Got him. No, it, and that's to, to your point. It is, it is, it is uncalibrated. And, I, and what yeah. I say is, so God gave men masculinity, right? Gave him the drive to fuck bitches, get money. Gave him that drive and it's yeah. Right? yeah. It's when that's devoid of a holy purpose. When it's right, accountability, absent. when you remove, when you talk, stop the God talk, all it is is for bitches. And it's not get that girl pregnant, <laughs> have kids with her, and then get that money so you can invest in generational wealth. It, it loses that. that <laughs> <because> <laughs> hey, this is wild, dude. This we're gonna definitely get canceled on this. This is What do you mean? We just invented a new genre. <laughs> yeah, we did. We did. What, what do we call it? We, we call it. Uh, I don't even know. Renaissance rap? Renaissance trap? <laughs> Renaissance trap? I, I'm not opposed to that conceptually. <laughs> but, you know, to, just to the original, one of the questions you asked, like, you know, what's why Why do I wanted to have these conversations with you specifically is that, you know, these are the issues of masculinity facing black men in particular, this Brandon Tyrone divide, these notions of, you know, hyper-masculinity being pushed into the black community, you know, through people like Travis Scott or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, the white community suffers from something very different where you have this, like, pushing of, of the super macho guy who's divorced from any kind of like empathy or compassion and then you have the super soy boy soy, you know it's like yeah. maybe it's maybe it's the brandon and tyrone divide in its own way in fact mm-hmm. i could think about that but like mm-hmm. it shows up so differently in the black community because the the, the sociological pressures and music you know especially in music and, and media are so are so much higher and so i think it's important to take these conversations and then adapt them for what it means to individual ethnic communities like uh, like uh, you know like young and his asian man rising like how does this show up in the asian community yeah you know, the asian community has been you know well you've got the you've got the k-pop thing and you've got the right you know you've got the what are the hiko mokori in japan which are like the 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 like they call them like oh, what's i think that's the word where it's like the the men who the men who eat grass or something like that is yeah, a translation yeah, basically yeah. like soy boys or that. that soy boys essentially is what it is it's the same thing yeah exactly yeah, same idea. So, like, how does this show up in each community, and how we, and you know, how do we take these these principles of masculinity and find what solid ground is for for our culture, you know, for for our individual background, and then push back from that solid ground. So, the Renaissance of Men is designed around this kind of like, you know, Greek 
kind of aesthetic, you know, the roots of the roots of Western civilization. Mm-hmm. That's what it looks like for for people who look, you know, like I do, for example, let's say, nice. and that will yeah. resonate with you in a particular way. But what if there's an image of that that resonates more with you and where you come from and the people who look like you? And so, mm-hmm. how can we take the how can we take some of these principles and adapt them in a way that someone could look someone who doesn't look at like me can look at that and say, I see myself reflected in that the best yeah, parts yeah. of myself. What does that solid ground look like? And I think and and I guess I don't want to spiral too far too far off and but we can keep going down this rabbit trail i think as i think about it the really interesting part and interesting maybe isn't the word but i'll go with it is that for black people trying to trying to touch bottom what it means culturally to be black in america your history like the the like you can't really go back to africa you know, no. I don't know that you no. feel a connection to African cultures because they're so different. So, like the, the 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 stopping point is slavery, but you can't put your feet in that. Mm-hmm. So, where do you put your feet down? Like, I can go all the way back to ancient Greece or Rome or whatever you name it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I can go back to the biblical patriarchs, and I can say that you know, in some way. But like, where like where do black men root themselves to? And that's the interesting question that I think is probably behind a lot of things. Like, who are we, and how do we how do we even pick a time? I mean, yeah. we can, you can choose from the smorgasbord of all the stuff I just brought up. What, yeah, what you want to run with? Smokes, well, holy smokes, man! Yeah, well, it's funny because black is even. I mean, you talked about this offline, but black is even was a way to distinguish uh, non-European, right? So it's it in and of itself is a a a non-category. Like it's and so we're almost in some sense we're we're trying to create an identity. Um, and in the midst of creating an identity, the identity was served back to us, uh, with its own, with its own spin based on, not just based on shareholder value, but based on shareholder values, you could say. Um, and, and so what I, where do you ground yourself where I ground, I'll put it like this, where I ground myself, is I, I look a lot to, and be frank, I look a lot to uh, older media, uh, older stories, okay. right? And 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 I think what's what's so interesting about humanity is that we're not we're the same in some ways as we've always been. The technologies are a little different, but we're the same as we've always been. Mm-hmm. And what stories are, what media is, is myths in some way. Um, mm-hmm. and, and if you have a good myth with a good hero in it, a lot of times you can derive a lot of value and perspective from that. And so for me, the myth of boys in the hood say, and the myth mm-hmm. of, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, furious styles, uh, resonates with me. He's a way he is a, he is a hero in that movie that I like that. I, he's how I would want to show up in my community. You get what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Now yes. it's not ancient, right? This is not an ancient way, but it's a, it's the nature of where we're at, right? We don't have a lot of roots we can tie back to Africa because transatlantic slavery was a, was an absolute disaster and a mess. Yeah. Um, and and yeah. we can trace back to some of them. And so for me, we can trace back to men in our family. And for me, I've got ways that I can trace back to men in my family. Um, so I've got the myth of uh, Frank Dozier, and Frank Dozier mm-hmm. was love that was, story. Oh yeah, I must, I'm, I'll, I'll tell it again since we're on YouTube. Yeah, 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 um, for sure. Frank Dozier was uh, my great grandfather. He was my grandmother, who was about to be a hundred years old uh, tomorrow. In fact, um, she's a great grandmother to your boy. The great grandmother to my boy. She's lived in the house she's living in since she was a seven year old girl, and that house years for years, right? That house was built by Frank Dozier and, and Frank Dozier was a contractor for John Deere. 
Um, which, and again, this was in, I guess it had to been, you know, early 1900s. Um, yeah, it had been early 1900s. So, uh, he was a contractor for John Deere during that time. And so what he did was he, he worked for a, a white man and he was on some land that that white man owned and he took the scrap wood and he built the house that my grandmother is living in today at a hundred years old. And she's been living there since she was seven years old. So that house mm. that he built has seen somewhere between five to seven generations of, of Wests and Dozier's. Right. Mm-hmm. And that story of that man, like he's a black man in the South, not that mm-hmm. far away from Jim Crow laws being, you know, abolished. So think about the upheaval that he had to go through. Think about this, the the things that he heard, the things that he went through, the struggles that he saw. And in spite of all that, he took that scrap wood anyway and built the house my grandmother is still in and that I've eaten food from. He doesn't mm-hmm. even know me. I never met him. Yeah. But he had me in his mind. You know what I'm saying? Like he had generations in mind and that myth alone it's funny i i never knew of the virtue uh i never knew about the i think it's a greek virtue uh pietas which is piety right but mm-hmm. i never really knew what that meant and so i started it's in fact because of your podcast and kind of learning more about uh you know um greek not necessarily mythology, but definitely values in the way that they, they structured their political system. Pietas was a sort of ancestral uh, debt in some sense. It's a debt that you owed the cosmos, a debt that you owed the cultural milieu that you found yourself in. And so mm-hmm. the, the, the coin actually in, I think it was, I think it was uh, Greece or Rome. I can't remember, but it's the story of Aeneas, the, the Aeneid. Um, and it's the story of whenever the, the, the soldiers, the, uh, was that the Trojan soldiers bring in that horse and they, they're laying siege to that mm-hmm. city. Aeneas is said to be the founder of, I guess that's Rome. Um, and the coin that they used was Aeneas carrying his grandfather on his back, holding his son by the hand with his wife next to him. So carrying mm-hmm. the wisdom from the past for the sake of the future is kind of what that's mm-hmm. picked as. And that was the Rome. That was two coins. That coin was the coin for that represented Pietas. And then there was another coin where it was a wife uh, breastfeeding her child. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's what they used to describe the virtue of Pietas or piety. And so when I, when I took that and I was like, Oh, that's really interesting. Wait a minute. <laughs> I'm acting in piety, right? I am mm-hmm. a part of a legacy. And so I owe to Frank Dozier the the respect, the honesty and the truth that I instill in Easton. Right. I owe Frank Dozier that because of what he sacrificed for me. And he didn't even know Mm -hmm. me. And conversely, I owe that to my son because of what was poured in me by Frank Dozier. And so Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm always in a state of, to some extent, indebtedness to the, 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 the young men and young women that will come after me from my line and the men that have gone before me in my line. And I, I, I think that when we attach ourselves to the stories of our fathers, to the stories of fathers that we see on TV, um, 
another another good myth I, i'll say this is uh good times good times is a great show i love that show mm. uh it's a sitcom and it's a family that i mean they're really they don't have a lot dad's a working man uh blue collar you know whatever and there's a scene in one of the episodes uh and it came up a few times but there's a scene in one of the episodes where uh they're coming on hard times financially and the wife is asking, you know, maybe we should go down to the, the courthouse. Maybe we should go and get welfare. And the father's like, we've been on hard times before. I'm mm-hmm. going back to work. I'm going to put in more hours. And it's like when you when you watch that myth as a black man, you can start to understand that this is this is who we are as a people. This is this is what we're about. We're not people waiting for someone to help us out We're we're. We are, we are, we survived, yo, we survived transatlantic slavery. That's right. We survived, right? Like if you're here today, if you're a black man today, your grandfathers survived transatlantic slavery, Jim Crow laws, the damn Klan, right? And every other bit of pressure, redlining, the rest of it, they survived all of that. And for you as a man to say, I want my reparations. You're a disgrace to your grandfathers. You're a disgrace to your grandfathers because though, and they may have been waiting on reparations too, right? It is what it is. But my point is, is that look at what they've afforded you. Look what, what mm-hmm. look, look at where they brought you. Look at where all of that's brought you. For you to be able to fix your mouth and be literate to say something like that and to actually understand what it means, right? You got to understand education was not something that we could get into years down the line, right? It was only the, 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 the men that were in the house, the house Negroes that were educated. So I guess my point in, in saying all that is to say, I think in order for us to ground ourselves we're going to have to go to the stories of the the men, you know, during slavery and, and post-slavery. Uh, guys like George Washington Carver, guys like Booker T. Washington, um, you know, and frankly, you know, re- read the guys that I don't necessarily agree with. Right. I don't necessarily agree with uh, W.E.B. Du Bois. Uh, he's a lot more along the lines of uh, kind of manifest destiny and, and and making sure that, you know, the state and the government largesse is the thing that I actually provide for us. I don't necessarily agree with that, but go read him and and understand the heritage that you find yourself in and the myths of these men. And I think I think what you'll find there is uh, a grounding to move forward and an appreciation for where you've been brought, where you've been brought to, you know? Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And I agree. I agree completely. And, you know, we we started this little thread of conversation talking about you know where do where do black men ground their identity as as black men in America? And the thought that I had in my mind, you know, was around W W E B Du Bois Du Bois and uh, you know and, and Booker T Washington and having that choice to be made. It's like, well, how are you going to how are you going to process? you know, this reality, this was the question they were asking at the time. Like, are you going to, are you going to, you know, take a posture of maybe this is unfair to, to characterize Dubois this way, but, you know, a posture of victimhood, which is to say, I am owed something by somebody else Mm -hmm. versus a posture of, uh, a posture of, um, we'll say empowerment, which would be Booker T. Washington, which says, I have everything I need to begin moving forward right now. And I don't need anything from anyone else. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to, to, uh, to, as a, as a man period, 
as a black man, as specifically within your community, but for men, period, to go back to the individuals that they find inspiring in their lives that adopted that posture of sufficiency. So I am sufficient to meet this moment now. Mm-hmm. I do not need anything from anyone else. What is a decision? Mm-hmm. What is a decision I can make today? What is a decision I can make tomorrow? I don't want to wait for government to come around to give me whatever wherever I need or a community to come around and give me what I need or whoever. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start today. Yeah. And how powerful that is to choose those archetypal heroes, you know, from from the ones who are available to you. And maybe that's sufficient. If mm-hmm. whether you can reach back two thousand or two hundred years, it's sufficient to look back and say, you know what, or twenty years. Twenty years. Someone like to someone in your family to say, look, that is where I ground my mythology, which is in which is in personal personal accountability, responsibility. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. the choice the choice to succeed. You know, and and not putting it on anybody else. That maybe that's deep enough. Yeah. versus you know having to look into the deep archetypal past or something yeah for sure well and it's it's, it's interesting too I, I, what I really appreciate about uh, what you do will is that uh, you 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 brought to the the, the forefront the mythopoetic men's movement and mm. what I didn't realize and I found out from your conversation with Suzanne Victor I didn't realize that Iron John was an adapted story like an ancient story uh, yeah adapted. I had no clue I had yeah. no clue but it's funny because by the way, rest in peace, Robert Bly, who just passed away a couple days ago. Oh, man, rest in peace, Robert Bly. Like what a yeah. what a gift to us, right? Yeah. Like what a gift he was to us. Um, we wouldn't be having this conversation. I'll tell you that. He wouldn't he? Would he was the progenitor? He was the man. He, I mean, there there was something already going on, but he was the man who brought it to the public eye, who sustained it. His special uh, uh, gathering of men. Um, which is available on YouTube, Robert Bly, a gathering of men with the, um, there's a famous interviewer whose name escapes me right now. That was the first time that the men's movement finally became part of the public conversation was this, uh, Bill Moyers is his name, mm-hmm. Robert Bly and Bill Moyers, a gathering of men. That was the first time that anything, you know, that looked like the men's movement had ever breached the public consciousness and the mythopoetic men's movement took off from there. But Iron John, you know, was the book itself was an, was a collection of, um, I think it was essays that uh, that Robert Bly had written that got put into a book and then published, and that was you know that was the the first moment where things really began moving in the men's movement, and it's exactly why we're here today. That mm-hmm. was the that was the beginning of the men's movement that we're enjoying, literally enjoying the fruits of of um, right now, and yeah. so that was Robert Bly, and so rest in peace to the man. What a blessing, man! And again that i mean he's his story is a myth in itself and then yes iron iron john was a myth and it when you read it it does transcend race because it's yep. the story of every man every man has to deal with uh the wild aspect of himself every man has to separate himself from his mother and from his parents right like that's yep. a, that's oldest time right even you go back to genesis right if it's for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife the idea there is that so good? It's literally, I mean, and so, all right, so we could talk about, you know, white hegemony and, you know, <laughs> we like we could have that conversation or we can have a conversation about what it is to be a human being, what it is to That's be right. a man, what it is. And, and that, that transcends all the BS, all the arbitrary distinctions that we have with each other. Because yes. the reality is, here's the thing, dude. I've gone through a particular set of struggles, right? But they're but they're struggles nonetheless. You've gone through a particular set of struggles, right? But they're struggles nonetheless. And guess what? We made it out on the other side stronger. 
as men, as men. And now Mm -hmm. you and I can sit down and have a conversation about our war stories, no matter how different those war stories are. I could tell you about the stuff I've been through with, you know, being too being too black for the white kids and too white for the black kids. Right. And Mm -hmm. you can tell me stories about being, you know, uh, too too Christian for the Jews and too (laughs) too too too, hey, watch out, man. Too Jewish for the Christians. Right. And (laughs) Yeah. I haven't experienced that yet. But I know what you mean. Well, well, I can say, yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> no, go ahead. You're good. <laughs> well, I was just going to say that you know the way that showed up in in my own in my own world is is that you know uh, my there was my dad's side of the family, which was who's from New York, and there's my mom's side of the family, which is from Phoenix. So you had the old world East Coast Jews, and you had the new world West Coast Jews, the Western Jews that had broken from all of the East Coast kind of old world ways, and were trying to leave that story of being Jewish behind. Because mm-hmm. you had the urban Jews; they were they were generally, you know, it's New York, so they're they're, they're louder, you know, they're 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 more expressive, they're, they're more celebratory. But then you had people move to the West, and they tried to establish new kind of more West Coast values, and that was a divide in my family. You know, the the um, the the west coast jews did not make the east coast jews feel welcome in fact which is why my american my sorry my new new york grandparents both all my grandparents were american my new york grandparents weren't often invited out to the west coast because wow. you know, to, to visit yes because because my my four grandparents did not get along because they were on opposite sides of a cultural divide so wow. i grew up in phoenix so i spent a lot of time with my phoenix grandparents and i rarely got to see my new york grandparents who i'm much more like my grandfather from new york in character so i only got to see him a limited time through my life and it's like i wonder what that that divide like what would have been like if i would have been able to be around both of my grandfathers together but you know they were on opposite sides there was a lot of judgment there was a lot of class stratification that went on within my family wow. and so I, I you know so i'm trying to put these pieces together but you know what these are war these are the war stories that we rise from mm-hmm. right like that mm-hmm. doesn't wh- whether my story looks like your story you know they're just our stories and you right. can't compare them like oh look how well jonathan's story is objectively so much worse it's like <laughs> yeah, look everyone's right. cup of suffering is a different size but it all gets full right it all gets full <laughs> And there's there's plenty of suffering to go around, and so the question right. the question is is not I mean it's and it sounds you know kind of trite to say it, but uh, it's not where you come from, but it is where you're where you're going or where you're at, you know, like it's where you, get to. Where, where are you like as a man, like I would argue it's 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 better seasoned or better received rather for you to talk about what you've overcome than to talk about what the pains were it's right it 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 puts you in a weak and a vulnerable position because if people know uh, frankly if people know what triggers you they'll do it again that's right (laughs) somebody's gonna do it again that's right and so i i just i just um i just really think that it's time for us it's time for us to not play the victim to and that doesn't mean don't acknowledge, right? Like I think a lot of people right. assume that when I say that I'm saying don't acknowledge it. No, acknowledge it, understand yeah. it, figure out that. I mean, the reality is that in group, in group BS has always been going on, you know. But mm-hmm. acknowledge it for what it is. Acknowledge how it made you feel, and then receive strength, and go forward and do better. 
mm-hmm. right? Like, why would you want? My question is, why would you want to live in the miserable existence of remembering your suffering? Why, you know, like it's important to remember, but like dwelling in it, why right. would you want to? Right. I don't because well, it's easier. It's easier. It's easier. It's it's it's, it's easier. so much. I think paradoxically, like it's it's so much easier easier to dwell in suffering and to just kind of to suffer in this moment and then to medicate it. So it's like, I'm in, I'm suffering, but I can medicate it with social media. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, I, I'm miserable because I'm a victim, but I can medicate with social, social media or whatever drugs or, or video games or porn or whatever versus making progress towards a goal is a unique form of suffering. That is that for some reason it's much harder than just the general existence of misery. And it's, mm-hmm. it's strange that way, right? We could kick that ball around and get to the bottom of it, but it's just so much easier to be miserable than it is to work towards a goal and, and endure, endure work, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree with that. And I think, and, that, and that's even one, that's a whole nother conversation is, you know, you put it on. Here we go. I love this. This is great. I'm going to keep this. I'm going to keep it right by my right by my desk. Good. Is it intentional? Is it intentional for right? Because we're the reality is that there's so many things that are feminizing men in general. Is yes. it intentional that black men are intentionally feminized so that they always do keep the wrongs and the victimhood mindset? Because I would say I'm not saying that that's a female thing. I'm saying right. that that is a I'm submitting to this thing and I'm not going to impose my will to rise above it is what I'm trying to say, which is a distinctly masculine way of dealing with it is imposing right in the midst of obstacles, imposing your will on that thing, your sovereignty, let's say, and rising above it or moving past it. Would you agree with that? I, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think all of the ills of society today at the very bottom of why they're happening is that they're imposed. And on top of that very bottom layer, the darkest layer, there are people that ride on top of it for all kinds of reasons that they justify to themselves, which can be like, Oh, I'm just in it for the money or I'm turning a, you know, which is like one level above that. Like they're not in it because they're strictly evil. They're just greedy. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like they like suffering. It's like, Oh, I can make money on this. Okay. Why not? Versus all the way up to the top of people who like turn a blind eye to it. Exactly. Bottom. Yeah. A lot of these things are, are really come down to, um, the root of it is, is poison intentionally being injected into society. Definitely. Um, so yeah, I agree. Yeah. The, the, the feminization of black men is, is yeah. I believe a intentional, intentional thing. Um, yeah. And I'm going to say it for the population. Oof. Okay. Now, now you've done it. Now you've done it. <laughs> No, hit it, man. I, this is, I wouldn't have, that wouldn't have been my, that wouldn't, that would have been my thought, but like that rings true. Leave it right? on. Leave it on. We'll put on another layer of the hat. That's, yeah. Put on three layers. Right. Well, the thing is, right. So if, <laughs> if you've got a feminized Brandon, let's say, right. Okay. A Tyrone is going to be overwhelmingly appealing, but a Tyrone is okay. never going to sire those kids either. Right. From a right. statistic standpoint. Right. He's, okay. he's, he's not that way. He's, you could say the alpha Chad bad boy, whatever you want to call that. Right. And on so, steroids, sure. Right. And so the guy that would actually produce legacy is feminized by the, his mm-hmm. education, going to college, by perhaps the food that he eats, the environment that he's in. And, yep. and he plays hard when he listens to 
the music coming from Tyrone. He plays hard, uh-huh. but he's not right. actually that way. And and so there's there's this. So then the question is, is like, okay, well, Jonathan, like, if we're not supposed to be Brandon's, but that's the one with legacy, and we're not supposed to be Tyrone's, that's one that, without legacy. Who are we supposed to be? And that's where I think myth comes into play because there are examples mm-hmm. in media and in probably your family of the righteous father. There was no pushover, but that was that was working on behalf of developing his family's legacy and the legacy of his community. You see that go on with, uh, in that, like I said, in the movie Boys in the Hood, you see that going on with Furious Styles. You see that going on with James in, uh, what's it? Um, I literally just blanked on it. Good times. You see that going on, you know, and they, they ran him through the mud, but you see that going on in the Cosby show to a lesser degree, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you see that going on in a lot of examples of old media, old black media, where you have a righteous father that doesn't take any crap, but he's a father and he's there and he's, and he's there for the, for the sake of his children. And so um, I, I, I think you, I think trying to pick between the dichotomy is, like, don't invest in either one, right? right. Aspire yep. to be the righteous father. Aspire to be the yeah, the the man who leads his family, not in a tyrannical sense, you know what I mean? Like, I'm the mm-hmm. man, or, and not in a passive sense where you're just sitting on the couch waiting for your kids to tell you what they want to do and, and, and how they want to dress. But the father that is deliberately engaged and is deliberately disciplined in how he deals with his wife and his kids. And I think that's, that's the option that we need to be focused on, not the BS that they give us. Yeah, Brandon and Tyrone is a is a dichotomy, is a dialectical, you know, sort of thing where it's like the answer is not either one. the The answer is neither. Mm-hmm. You know, is some synthesis <laughs> of both that 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 puts together the 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 strongest aspects. Like that's what you want to be. You want exactly. to be, you know, the the strong, confident, virile, you know. Um, dominant, not domineering, dominant man with his eyes on the future, with the ability to raise raise a family, with the ability to to love a wife, you know, tenderly, and the ability to stand up for what's right. So you have to synthesize these two things to to be the the image of a man that I think we all feel in our hearts, but that culture deprives us, you know, any models of. Like that's furious. That's furious styles, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that's that that's the because I remember him in that movie. It's like you know he didn't take any shit. And yet he was still a professional man. You know what I mean? And so, so, you know, it's, 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 there's a reason why, um, why those characters have been removed from our culture so that we have no models to aspire to Mm -hmm. because men, men, people, human beings, they need to see something to model it. And if you give them no way to see it, then they can't imagine, many people can't imagine it. So Mm. to show it to them. You know, mm. and maybe that's, I do think that isn't, in fact, I know that's intentional. There's a video um, by this uh, creator on YouTube called the name, the critical drinker. He's like my one channel on YouTube that I will immediately watch whatever he, whatever he puts out. And he did a whole thing about how Hollywood is destroying our heroes intentionally. And he let his anger show over it because he's a pop culture commentator. And so he said it really well. Our heroes are being destroyed cross-culturally like he talked about not just what happened to luke skywalker and star wars but also what happened to sarah connor in the turn in the recent terminator movie wow. and it, as you're saying it, it happened in the in the black community as well like where are the furious styles in, in black made movies right now like, they don't exist they don't. so that we don't have models to look at because mm-hmm. as steven the author steven mansfield said movies are today's literature we yes. don't have Charles Dickens anymore. We have movies. And if you degrade the movies, you degrade our literature, you degrade our cultural liter- literacy, we de- you degrade our imagination. So we just accept what's being pushed on us. Mm. Almost like it's uh, 
intentional. Almost like it's intentional. Almost like they want to weaken men. Huh. Huh. Interesting. Almost as if. It's almost as if they want to weaken men so that way they can increase power and control over the people. Because they know that a strong man is the only thing that would stand in the way of total governmental, universal, one world government control. Huh. I wonder what would wonder what would happen if men got together and started talking about this stuff. It's an R word, I think. Uh, is it a mm. ravioli? No, no, I'm not a big fan of ravioli. Maybe like it's a, maybe it's like um, a reformation. Mm-hmm. Flat. Maybe a renaissance. Let's call it a renaissance. I like it. I a like renaissance it. Of what though? Renaissance of. Uh, Renaissance, Renaissance of, of guys? No. Dudes? <laughs> the Renaiss- no, it's too casual. What about men? Mm. Could there be a Renaissance of men? How does that sound? That's strong. That's strong? That's strong. We probably need to get a podcast going or something like that. Um, we need to get a podcast of that going. That's a good idea. <laughs> have such good ideas. <laughs> this has been fantastic, dude. It's been, our, it's been great. It's our, been our best one yet, I think. I think that's, it's that's been so, well, the only, here's the, the only metric to know if it's our best one is if it gets shut down by YouTube, and then that's when we'll know. <laughs> well, what's funny is I, you know, I talked with Arthur Quanley last week, and we got maybe 30 minutes in the conversation. I'm like, I'm going to lose my YouTube channel 30 oh, minutes. Dude, Arthur Quanley doesn't care. He does not, he does not care. <laughs> no, he doesn't care. <laughs> so, you know what? We're gonna, the, 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 can you get three strikes on a single video? I think it requires three stream videos to get three strikes. Seriously, yeah, yeah. If you want three strikes on a video, just ask Arthur Kwan Lee to like talk for five minutes. I mean, it's instant <laughs> shutdown. I, first time I met Arthur Kwan Lee, he's like, I don't think people should mix races. I'm like, dude, I don't even really know you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I, you know, this is a Wendy's. <laughs> yeah, I was like, bro, you, that's that's a lot. You're a lot. You're a lot. You're not, I love you. You're fantastic, but good God Almighty! I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, let's just let's yeah. all smoke a black and just hang out. You know what I mean? That's just <laughs> <laughs> let's dial it back on the anti-miscegenation just laws a little bit. Just to, can we? Maybe I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's asking too nice much. Nice to meet you. <laughs> what What was your name again? We just met. Yeah. Excuse me. Was your name I Quan? I couldn't. I didn't. I wasn't sure. I'm Jonathan. I'm Jonathan. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. yeah. It's like hi. I'm Jonathan. Racist shouldn't mix. Whoa. <laughs> and you're and you are. <laughs> and you are. It's so true. So you know true, what I'm saying? Though. Yeah, for oh sure. <laughs> Dude, this has been good. I got I to gotta bounce because I got a baby crying. Yeah, you got a baby boy. Well, man, this has been this has been awesome as always. Thank you so much for everything. And man, I look forward to number four. Where are we taking it from here? We're going to find oh, out. To the moon, baby. To the <laughs> to moon. The moon. <laughs> to the moon. All right. Thank you so much, Jonathan. I appreciate it. Hey, no problem, man. Have a good day.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance of Men podcast. Visit us on the web at renofmen.com or on your favorite social media platform at Ren of Men. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance.